You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Find more great shows like this at wearelibertarians.com. All right, let's get back to some boring subjects. Understand the risk to our country. Freedom brings people together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. My name is Chris Spangle. It's so nice to have all of you here. Uh, this is going to be a very fun episode. We've got a lot of great talent and Hody here on the show tonight. We've got our friend oh. Jeff Bennett. Oh. <laughs> Jeff, will, <laughs> Jeff will be on asking questions of us. It's another episode of The Path to Libertarianism Q&A. And he will be uh, asking pointed questions, and we'll do our best to answer those. Hody Johns will be here. Ryan Hold will be here. And lo and behold, Harry Price will be here, too. So stay tuned right after this. Warning. This show is for adults, produced by semi-adults. So the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh. Welcome to We Are Libertarians, where our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective while treating modern politics with all of the irreverence it deserves. There has been lie after lie. We toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, a 15-year veteran of politics and media, Chris Spangle. Welcome to the program. I've got a brand new board. It's the maiden voyage of a brand new piece of equipment, uh, which I'll talk about here in a moment once I get everybody introduced. But uh, first and foremost, back from his third round of the coronavirus, it is Harry Price. Harry, how are you doing tonight? I'm better. Um, I've got enough. Um, so I got ginger ale, and I've been doing a lot of fix. You know, you know. You, if I get it again, I'll probably do essential oils. But yeah, I'm doing okay. Oh, you got to get thieves, man. Get thieves. That'll take care of it right away. Uh, we have Reinhold here. Reinhold, how are you? I'm doing well. All right. Great to see that mic turned around. Uh, so <laughs> Ryan, Reinhold did an entire episode. I, before the show, I was like, hey, uh, you might turn your mic around. It sounds like it's turned around. He's like, there's no way that could possibly happen. I'm staring at the microphone, and afterwards, he was like, he's man enough to admit... He did the full Elizabeth Warren and came out that he was one twenty second, two thousand twenty second wrong, and he had the mic turned around. Uh, but uh, yes, it was. It still makes me laugh every single time. 
What's funny is you go back and watch the podcast and you can see the blue light <laughs> on the, on the uh, microphone in, in the whole shot, the whole way through. So funny. Uh, Hody Johns. Hody, how are you? I'm great. I'm well vaccinated. Thank you. <laughs> I know. So it is great <laughs> to have you here. Uh, I, I, there isn't a week that's been going by lately since you were on that last path episode that people are asking, when is uh, the wall daily coming back? And my answer is it's never coming back. Uh, it was too much content for you people. You, uh, you can't handle a daily episode yet. Uh, but we got a lot of great ratings, huge ratings on those. Um, but we are going to bring back it in a different format called Libertarian Politics and Policy. I just recorded one about the coronavirus that will air uh, the day before this one, this episode. And uh, Hody, Reinhold, everybody's gonna, everybody is going to start doing more episodes, correct? That is correct. Yes. That's oh, what, yes. That's what I like to hear. All right. Fear instilled in the troops. That's the way you manage things, Harry. If you don't do one, you don't get on to the weekly. So That's exactly right. Uh, so, Hody, will be back doing more episodes. You're also working on some cool stuff. What are some other things that you're working on? Oh, real cool stuff. So we're going to – there's two new things. We're going to do some reaction videos. Um, we're going to watch kind of what everybody else is watching in the news, things that they might have seen, things that are popular. Take it about like a three- to five-minute clip of it, and then we're going to discuss it for about 30 to 40 minutes with the wall, uh, the wall people. Wallflowers, yeah. all of us. And uh, that's one. And then the other one, we've actually got a debate. We've even got one scheduled and coming up. Well, I shouldn't say scheduled. We've got one coming up. I have the debate tours. I need to schedule it. Um, we're going to have Spike Cohen uh, running for vice president of the United States in the Libertarian Party. And uh, our buddy, either Reinhold or uh, Ryan Lindsay, one of the two, is going to be debating as well. And they're going to be talking about the role of private police. And uh, we're actually going to touch on that a little bit in this show but there you go a couple coming up and so we're going to keep doing debates do some reaction videos i'm excited for all that stuff uh my my gal jamie is actually going to help me with the reaction videos uh she's a big youtube fanatic and uh kind of knows some things to say and you said we needed more girl power on the show and i said she's close so there you go <laughs> you're trying to get your ass beat <laughs> Uh, Jeff Bennett, a great friend and supporter and Patreon member is here tonight. Jeff, how are you? I'm doing good. Thank you. This is his second pod. Listen, you slackers. Jeff and I have both done two podcasts now today. What have you people done? Uh, Save the world. Mm, mm -hmm. (laughs) One child at a time. I made soup. (laughs) (laughs) So, Jeff, these are your first two podcasts that you've ever done. It was, I always love when people get into this. And, like, for us, we take it for granted. Hell, Harry barely comes on the show anymore. He's like, I stubbed my toe. I can't make it tonight. (laughs) Can you, can you say why you weren't here last week, Harry? I went to a divorce party. Now, when he told me that, I was like, are they there together partying? But apparently that's not what it was. What is this, Harry? What is a divorce party? Well, the guy is being a complete and total, uh, let's see, what's the name for that bag? You know, Douche think bag? of the worst bag that you have. And this is this guy. And uh, it's just sandbagging through like the whole Trump bag. Yeah. <laughs> the sandbagging through the whole, like the whole divorce process. And the, the guy has a, I'm not going to try to say in particular so I don't know the case, but like the guy's got like, got a lot of cash. His retirement uh, is from, with the company is amazing. And she doesn't want any of that. She just wants him to go hit left. She goes right. Mm-hmm. And everyone's fine. But he's being, was being such a crap, you know, 
person about it. Right. But, you know, once it's now finally freak, freaking over, we're just kind of glad it's over. Me personally, if he would have drugged his feet, I would have went after his retirement and just ate it off. But yeah, that's, yeah, that's me. That's me. Yeah. So I didn't I didn't out where you were last week, but I thought that that was kind of a funny, interesting thing. Um, What's about it, the shitty kitty? The what? Alley cat. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah that's a dive bar here in town. Uh, so Jeff is a, a great friend of the show. How did you find out about We Are Libertarians? Uh, so I came across We Are Libertarians from um, just researching. I actually started watching Kibby on Liberty mm-hmm. um, and was looking just for more content. And so went to podcasts, searched libertarianism, and it was the first thing that popped up. And that was the last thing you listened to? I mean, I, 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 was, gonna, I was trying to think of a good self-deprecating joke, but I was like, this person believes in what we do. Don't shrink. Joe Ruiz inspired me. I'm like, no, I'm going to own it. This Jeff has learned from We Are Libertarians, and we thank him, and we're happy he's here, and I'm not going to belittle his accomplishment because of my low self-esteem. Exactly. Well, half of being on the show was hoping to get roasted by you. So, I mean, come on, open up the door and let's do this. <laughs> well, I'm sure we will get to it. That's that's part of the fun here. If I sound a little bit different, uh, I want to just thank Ryan Ripley. Uh, Ryan is a former Shill Report co-host. I had such a great tour of the North uh, this past weekend. I uh, went to see my good friend Ryan Ripley, who has a podcast called Agile for Humans and has done an amazing job turning his agile uh, business into a business. And he started a podcast and turned it into a huge business. And I'm wondering, what the hell did I do wrong? Uh, And so he and I were talking and I was helping him set up. Harry, I walked into Ripley's room and he had like custom woodwork for his podcast studio and i was like this is the life this is nice nice oh so nice so nice. uh ripley's doing great check out agile for humans has a great new book out called fixing your Scru- uh, fixing your scrum excuse me and uh i uh was gifted while i was there a road podcaster pro which is so harry the last time you were here mm-hmm uh when it was hot yeah. <laughs> i don't know when the last time you're here but to my left sat a giant stack i mean it was probably about four to five feet tall a board generously given by christy avery mm-hmm. to we are libertarians many many years ago and then we had four mic processors and recorders and headphone jacks and more recorders and more headphone jacks because those things stopped working and we just had this whole corner now everything is on a on a single table in just a little little tiny beautiful box, and uh, you know I can play sound effects and intros, and so you know I can play things like this. Paradigm of absolute control, and that's why we're just out here doing simple things, pointing out that we're meant to be in nature and be natural, and this is where we find the source that God made to transcend the new world order, and that's why they want to try to keep us out of it. I'm angry. I've had enough of these people. If you have never listened to Stereo Deluxe and their version of Alex Jones' uh, remix, it's, it's truly remarkable. And I've got that on my button bar. So I have a button bar where I can press little buttons and, and play all kinds of sound effects. And I can. I just did an interview on the phone with a Bluetooth. It's really remarkable. And it just takes up. So now there's so much more room for activities for mittens. 
<laughs> so thank you so much to Ryan Ripley for that. Uh, we are very excited about the new equipment. So if I sound a little bit different, that's why. Uh, but we have upgraded the technology thanks to our friend. And uh, also got a, to t- a chance to talk to Joe Ruiz. If you didn't listen to that interview, I've gotten... Have, have any of have, have, have any of you had the chance to listen to that podcast with Joe? I've not. All right, that reflects nope. the download numbers. Uh, but that's why I'm saying go back and listen to that interview with Joe. I've had multiple people say that it was truly phenomenal, and I was uh, just it was fun to catch up with Joe, who was a co-host so long ago, and now is chasing his dream and talks a lot about the biggest episode on We Are Libertarians is 113,000 downloads. And it is our interview on the Shill Report with Ron Paul. And uh, you can go back and listen to that in our feed now. It was 2013, 2014. And I'm, uh, uh, it was 2013, yeah, because I was out to dinner with the ex misses at Olive Garden. And uh, the website crashed. And we had this interview go viral. Oddly, Oliver Darcy, now at CNN, then of The Blaze, had tweeted out this interview. And it went viral, went to HuffPo, went everywhere. And so that was, uh, that was truly a great catching up with Joe. And Joe, so Joe just went out and like got Noam Chomsky. And we, we approached Gary V, and Gary V was going to come on. But Gary V said, uh, you know, okay, I'll, I'll come on, but buy a book. And we're like, okay, cool, we'll buy a book. And then Ryan had to reschedule, and he goes, well, I, I can't do that time, so if you want me to come on, then you need to buy 500 books. And we said, fuck you, we don't need you, Gary V. <laughs> like, like that's, what an asshole move. I've, he's such a scam artist. Gary V is a scam artist. Um, so I've never liked that guy. He's like the pyramid schemes of marketing. Uh, so yeah, anyways, uh, I get, there's like a few people, I love everybody, Jeff, but there's just a <laughs> few people in the world that if you get, if you mention them, uh, like prepare for rants, like Joshua Smith, Melissa <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Hubbard, Melissa Hubbard. It, it, it's just, it actually, she like, <clears throat> she's funny, but like there's this one guy who was the campaign manager in 2004 for Andy Horning and stole from him. And I was at lunch with my friend, Josh Gillespie. He goes, you know, and, and then there's that guy that I won't mention because you don't like him. And I said, oh, I mean, who are you talking about? And he mentioned the guy's name and was like, that motherfucker. <laughs> and like 15 years of, because uh, I don't care if you steal from me, but you steal from the lovely Andy Horning, then you're just a jerk. So, uh, but anyways, it's great to talk to Joe and you'll really get a lot out of that. Uh, enough, uh, just a few more announcements here on the program. want to thank our patrons. You guys are the ones that really make this work, and you guys are the ones that uh, really help us out a lot. And you are uh, – I am behind the scenes working on a ton of new things, and I won't go into detail because I have a habit of saying what I'm doing, then I get busy, and then we don't do it for 14 years. Um, we just finally got the Liberty and Chill website up, Harry. Uh, I don't oh, even nice. know if I don't even know if you've seen this, but if you go right now to wearelibertarians.com/slash/liberty-chill, mm-hmm. then I put up the guide. I worked with uh, our correspondent Paul Copeland and Christy Avery, and I put up a flyer that you can uh, get designed for your Liberty and Chill group, and the logo, and some tips, and uh, we'll list your your group there. So 
listen, we got behind on it because we were trying to centralize everything. And now I'm saying just steal this logo and make your own thing. And if you need a, a, a flyer made, I will make the flyer for you so you can put up this little 8 by 10 poster around town. 8.5 by 11, I think. And uh, you uh, you can get going. So go check out Liberty and Chill. But that's an idea that I was like, early 2018, we're going to do this. And it's mid-2020, and now we're uh, on it. But about to launch the new logo. We're going to – we've completely redesigned the website. Go, so go check that out at WeAreLibertarians.com. It looks great. Uh, and we are just rolling through 2020 trying to bring in a lot of new people. And uh, we, that is all possible because of our patrons, and specifically our $100 a month patrons who really make it work. And that is Matthew Durbin, Ed Brehob, Jason Doolittle, uh, Christy Avery, and Craig DaCosta. Thank you guys so much. And some other special guests that we won't mention. Um, but we appreciate everybody who is a patron. And to our newest patron, Agent Downwinder of Washington, who is a $25 patron. So we thank him so much for joining um, Jeff, you are a patron and we appreciate your support. Can you tell the listeners, why are you a patron? What causes you to give so generously to this program? Well, when I, I started listening to, we are libertarians about a year ago, maybe a little bit over a year ago. Um, and I just saw something that for me was bringing me information, bringing me knowledge, um, gave me a lot of resources to be able to talk to others. Um, and for me, being a small business owner, I like to support things that support me. Um, and whether it's being indirect or directly, um, I felt like it was the right way to give back. So I also believe in the, the libertarian idealism. And I think that We Are Libertarians podcast is the best way to get that message out there. And so, um, yeah, so I feel totally confident giving to that. Well, we greatly appreciate your support. It does mean a lot to us. It allows us to do a lot of great things, and you and your support and uh, all of our patrons are the lifeblood of that. But let's talk to you. Let's talk about you, uh, and let's find out who you are, what you do, where you live. Give us some of the details. Who is Jeff Bennett? <laughs> um, so I am uh, a small business owner. I live in Fresno, California, so we are – the Central Valley, for the most part, the lifeblood for California. Uh, I think we feed most of our uh, nation's people uh, with the produce that's grown here in Fresno. And um, yeah, so I have uh, live here. I own a couple businesses here in town. I own an ice cream shop uh, that's become pretty popular and a cafe. Do some business advising uh, for other small businesses and friends. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now. So have you become more libertarian the more of an entrepreneur you've become? Yes, absolutely. And I think that's really um, kind of what sparked that, other than kind of seeing the divide of the two parties over the last couple of years um, and really seeing I, I come from a Republican background. And um, as I saw that party kind of drifting away really from what my ideals were, um, that's when I really started like searching elsewhere and looking out for that, um, especially in the California climate. Uh, big government is obviously huge here. <laughs> right. And there's just, uh, you know, you pay a lot of taxes, you pay a lot of things that really don't get reciprocated back to you as the people. And so, um, yeah, so that's what really started down this quest for looking at that. So that's great. So when would you say that you started calling yourself a libertarian? 
I'd probably say I started calling myself a libertarian about six months ago, being kind of a little bit more open about that. Um, fresh fish, I've, fresh fish. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've jokingly said that uh, this podcast, I plan on sharing it, uh, and it's kind of my coming out uh, to the mass public rather than more direct conversations because uh, I hope and plan to share this on Facebook and other areas. So, Well, if, if people are in the Fresno, California area, do you want to share where your ice cream store is or what it is? Give a little free plug. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, our ice cream shop is called Ampersand Ice Cream. We have two locations in Fresno. Um, and then I also own the Review Cafe, uh, which is also in the heart of Fresno. So, Okay. So... Other than we are libertarians, and you mentioned Kibby on Litter, uh, Libby, what are some um, Kitty on Libby? What am I saying? Uh, I, we do these. Uh, so I, my brain. You said that so confidently. I was like, I know, is it like, really Kitty on Libby? Uh, it is not Kitty on Libby. Uh, so my. So that's the hamster um, that place. Right? Reinhold and I were talking about this the other day. My brain at 5.30 every morning goes, good morning, let's think about all the things you're going to do today. And I used to be, I used to sleep till noon every day. And now I'm just like up at 5.30 every single day. And I'm just like, and I, so I go to bed. And so by the time we get to 7.30 and I've, you know, taken an hour and a half before the show to just relax, it doesn't mean that my tongue still isn't tired. Uh, so yeah, Reinhold tells me that that is just a function of age. There's there's a lot that goes on there, and what I found is it's good to take a nap in the afternoon. Oh, well, I don't have time for that, so I guess I'll just be stupid and say Kitty on Liberty. Uh, but <laughs> get you a chair that lays flat. Just take your quick nap. Yeah, get back I up on my desk. Yep, that's what I did. Put my feet up on my desk, lean back in my chair. I'll tell you what I've been. What powers me through these is V8 has a little energy drink that is green tea, and it's caffeine, and it doesn't. It's I really love it. It's very good. It's it, just enough caffeine to get right through to the end. All right. So now that I've ruined the show and brought it to a screeching halt, uh, what are some resources or what are some books or other podcasts that you listen to? So if somebody's newer to Libertarian, like what what are some things where you're just like reading or listening to it and you're just like, yeah, this is right on. Uh, to be very honest, uh, I'm still trying to catch up on five years of uh, we are libertarians. So that's okay. been a large part of uh, <laughs> where I've, I've gotten information from uh, as I mentioned earlier, ki- uh, now you're going to make me say Kitty it, on but, Liberty. Uh, <laughs> everybody's going to start calling the kitty, kitty Libby. Um, and then uh, I also read a lot of from fee and from um, now I'm going to space on the other publication. Um, Cato reason. Reason, thank yeah. you. Reason and fee are two that I um, follow on social media and read a lot of articles from there and, and take pieces from from all of that. So, uh, not to halt the show again, but Hody just looked at his girlfriend and drug his thumb across his neck in the death motion. What were you <laughs> were you threatening your poor girlfriend in the middle of the show on camera? <laughs> Did anybody else worse. see I, that? I, I, I'm actually threatening my dog. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah. oh, see. Yeah, he, he gave oh, a little man. yap, and I muted, but I just snapped and did the throat drag thing. And um, <laughs> it was very ominous. Yeah. I'll tr- well, I hope the dog got that same message. <laughs> That's all I can say. 
<laughs> well, basically, Jeff, what I'm hearing is, I mean, Reinhold, he's not read Human Action. He's been a libertarian for six months. He's not a real libertarian. Right, and he's getting all his stuff from that side of the libertarianism. I right? know. The Cato, the reason. The you're you're listening to the Loser Club, Jeff. He's not going to Mises. Yes. <laughs> where, uh, where, why are you not listening to Dave Smith? Uh, no. <laughs> so, well, you, you don't even know what we're talking about. That we're just, I'm just making Reinhold laugh at this point and the 14 people who know anything well, that's going on. It's very <laughs> funny too. You, you'd be on the floor. Yeah. So Jeff, let's talk about your first question. You, yeah, you wrote in and you had a series of, uh, five questions. And so let's just start with the first. What is, you listened to the path with Adam and that left you with a few more questions. And so what's your first one? Yeah. Um, well, first off, Adam took most of my questions that I initially had, so <laughs> I had to kind of re- reevaluate. That's exactly what Levy said. She's like, he had, he, he had all my questions. <laughs> um, so my first question was, um, and I, I jokingly put, in a libertarian utopia, um, what is policing or how does policing work and what does that look like for um, major crimes, i.e. murder or theft? And um, is that done individually? Is it private is it um yeah like how does that break down how do how do how are crimes policed so in a libertarian society when bodies start showing up under hody's doorstep (laughs) then how would we deal with that as a free society who would like to take policing in a free society there's too many um, dead will, dogs on your front porch, Hody. <laughs> I, will let, I will let Hody go. HOA. Hody, go ahead. I want to say something before we get started. Okay. Um, when you say libertarian utopia, you have to understand there's a lot of different libertarian utopians. Yeah. To- utopias out there. So you kind of have to okay, what are we talking about? Are we talking about an an, um, anarchist type of utopia or a, a minarchist or a classical liberal or there's a lot of different threads and, and views on that. So uh, some of the answers you might get here are going to be kind of along those lines of differences. And that's a good thing. So that we have kind of different views on how we could do this. So Jeff, did that make, did what Reinhold just say, did that confuse you? You're like, wait, there's more than one type of libertarianism or have you followed any of the strains? Like, what did you think about what Reinhold just said? No, that totally makes sense. And I think it's one of my later questions. Um, one of the things that I wanted to kind of ask in that field of obviously if libertarian is a, a umbrella over multiple different categories, like how do those come together into a single society? <laughs> and that, I could be opening a can of worms there. But <laughs> Have you yeah. seen the podcast world <laughs> of the libertarian movement alone? Uh, so let's start with just the pure stateless society. Let's go to our purity expert, Hody Johns. In a, in a pure libertarian society where there is no government whatsoever, some might call it ANCAPism, some might call it agorism, what would policing look like? There's a David Friedman. He wrote a book called The Machinery of Freedom. It's a fantastic book, and it answers a lot of these like hardcore what an anarchist society would look like type of questions. Um, He's very moderate as far as anarchy, as far as an anarchist can be moderate. He's very moderate as far as saying, "Hey, let's scale back until we get there," as opposed to just setting flags on fire and you know and uh, emailing your congressman, you know, your human fecal matter and stuff like that. He's very, he's very uh, reasonable. 
Uh, the machinery freedom, he says uh, specifically that if you say you know the answer to this question, you're actually using a cop out because it's hard to envision what the market will do. And so he actually provides like 12 different options. And so, and, and he says, I don't know which one will be best or a, probably a combination of them will be best. Let me give you, because I don't want to give you an unsatisfactory answer. I always believe that you should have a good answer and say that this is the floor, right? Because the ceiling could be, the market will demand better, always. Market always wants better. You make ice cream, you understand. Chris, I've heard you talk about crappy ice cream before. There is crappy ice cream on the market. And it, we demand better. Right? That's exactly right. I want. Oh my gosh! I want Cold Stone Creamery. I want Ampersand Ice Cream. I want mm-hmm. Ben and Jerry's. I don't want Briars. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I oh, you don't like uh, flavored ice crystals? Or no. <laughs> I don't want your cheap Napoleon ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> and, but the problem is, is that Briars gets bought because there are people who are willing to take less quality for a cheaper price, and that had happened too in that sort of situation. Right. And so, and, and that's, I guess that's a great carryover too. And so the issue is, is this is, you're responsible for your own freedom, right? And that never, that is always true in any society. You just either choose to outsource it to the government protecting your freedom or outsource it to your neighbors or to your companies or your business. You always, or in an individualist society, you're responsible and you're responsible for choosing whether you want your community to take care of it or your business to take care of it. Or, you know, uh, uh, look at something like uh, insurance, right? You choose your insurance and you say, I want it really high so that if something does happen, I don't have to be like, I'm not covered for this. Like those warranties that, you, that don't work. And in, in one sense, it's, it's a difficult explanation because people think that, well, if my li- right to life is secured, you know, and no one's out there securing it. Yeah, but it, that person is going to be you. And that's tough for some people to understand. The judicial judicial system will be complicated. But when insurance companies talk to each other, they might have different terms, but they do come to an agreement. Ultimately, they call each other and they talk to each other and they say, "Hey, look, you and me, we operate differently." You you so, have you have like a, a system. Like I had a situation today where I called another radio show, and I said, "Listen, we're competitors, but we're also colleagues, and I need some information." And you guys have done this thing before, and I need to know it. And I know that you have no reason to talk to me. And we had a great 30-minute conversation. And at the end, we were like, maybe there's some ways that we could partner together here, right? So even, you know, the other ice cream owners in the store, there's maybe the one bad actor that you're like, yeah, Johnny's Ice Cream Shop, they're (laughs) suspicious. But the other 15, you kind of get along. So there's some collegiality amongst yourselves. And sometimes that turns into formal organizations where you have either a union or a guild or – I mean, I view a lot of other libertarian podcasts both – I look at Lines of Liberty, and I love all those guys. I think they have an absolutely great show. I promote their show. I also see them as competition because – you know, you only have so much bandwidth. You get seven podcasts on your pod. Most people have seven podcasts on their app. Well, if you have two libertarian podcasts, you might like them better. But at the same time, like, okay, at least we're moving towards the same goal, right? So there there doesn't need to be a competitive spirit. You can help each other grow and come together and network together because, frankly, sharing promos on each other's podcasts has, make, has made our show stronger because people start to support both. They go, I really like Good Libertarian Podcast, and I'm glad there's two and not just one. 
I mean, so Hody, that's kind of what you're saying. It's like just because natural, just because there's competition, we sometimes let the anti-capitalist mentality get in the way of this, and we start to think, uh, oh well, ca- co- competition is bad or choice is bad because somebody's going to get hurt or get screwed over because of the bad actors. When in reality, we love competition. It makes everything better, Hody. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it? <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. It's exactly that. And the thing is, we tend to think competition would lead to too much chaos. We just go in a million different directions because I get the spirit of the question is kind of, well, I believe a judicial system should work this way. Well, I believe a judicial system should work this way. And this is one of those instances where libertarians can let their individualism mess up what kind of actually happens in the market. Great example, restaurants. You don't need somebody to tell you to go visit a restaurant or, you know, some people might be like, well, I want the restaurant to come to me. Well, that's not going to happen because there's not a very good market for it. So you might think in your head, I want a judicial system where a judge lives in my house and 18 million people are guarding the door. Well, okay. If the market wants that, then that's going to happen. So the reason we even talk about things like re- nobody has to mandate that you set up a restaurant. All right. But Hody, just pop up. H- right? Hody, the man asked about how you're going to arrest murderers and child rapists and you're talking about yeah. free markets and screeching on about it. So how, sure. how is your, how's your little mysterious market going to actually haul my killer into jail? Sure. Uh, this is the, uh, one of our favorite enemies of the show. Uh, you may remember him well referred to them as what Nick mercenaries, right? You go uh-huh. to McDonald's and uh, you, you hire, uh, if you don't like uh, the pro choice people, you, you hire, you, it, it's the equivalent of getting like an extra size value meal. You just hire a mercenary right there. No, that's, that's piracy. That's crazy. And there's, there's not really a market for it. So the issue is when we talk about markets, let's go ahead and get off the hypotheticals. Let's stop talking about restaurants because that's the nice way to talk about it, right? Mm -hmm. We're talking about pedophiles. We're talking about murderers. (laughs) We want to deal with these people, right? Right. So I don't want to give you, I don't want to avoid the question. Hillary Clinton. Right, we're going to talk about Hillary Clinton. Oh my gosh, right? (laughs) The real evil ones. (laughs) How are we going to deal with this? Um, So so here's the deal. Let's say you, uh, you, there's a market to get rid of pedophiles. I would say that there would be a substantial number of people that want to make sure pedophilia doesn't happen happen to their children okay but how do you let's say you have a a vigilante club on meetup.com for killing pedophiles how do you protect justice though how do you protect uh, your vigilante club or maybe i'm mischaracterizing it but that's what leapt to my mind there hody like how how do you how do you protect the innocent so so we're assuming okay so the vigilante club how do you protect the vigilante club i think no no i'm saying like if if you have a a comp like if you have a private corporate like what are you saying that there's going to be some sort of uh, private company that takes out or, or a group of people who are, have a vested interest in getting rid of pedophiles like yeah so we have great examples for this actually in the United States today there's a few different counties we've talked about on this show before that actually have private police forces now of course they have a single private police force this isn't the Ancapistan we want but they actually provide a really great foundation. When they hired those people, they said, well, these people are going to get a different contract with a different single police force if we don't meet their needs. So what did they start doing? They actually halved. This is this is on Wikipedia. I'm not making this up. 
they actually have their response times on calls. They stop pulling people over on the side of the road because guess what? That's not popular among the people that you're policing, right? Committing road piracy against those people. What is popular? What was popular? They got their rape kit times down from 30 year processing average times to three week processing Mm. times. Okay. That's something. All right. And so what this is, is this is saying, this is what competition in the market does is they don't even have a real competition once they got the contract, but they're not going to get renewed unless they actually police the things that the people care about. What is it that you think most people care about when they hear about this? Hillary Clinton, murderers, pedophiles, bad thieves, that type of thing. And, and this is, I, we actually have a very current real example of that happening. And that's just the average of them happening around the country when they're on contra- still government contractual co- contractions. If this is the free market, how much more do they have to compete? How much harder do they have to compete? How much more do they have to work to serve to stop pedophiles, murderers, Hillary Clintons, Donald Trumps, and all that from popping up and trying to take your stuff? You know, it, it's really one of those things that that we have an example of, and it's scary in theory, but we've seen it in practice, and the practice doesn't match the fear that's in our hearts. All right, Jeff, what do you think about that? Yeah, and that's kind of like I think what my thought would be, and um, yeah, I sorry, I'm trying to process that a little bit, but yeah, I, I would assume, and I'm fully behind the idea of privatizing. Um, I think we're kind of where taking the question a little bit and you talked about it in the path with Adam um, is what happens when let's just say Fresno County has its, it's private that's on contract and LA County has a different and somebody leaves Fresno County and goes to LA County. Where do you start creating those connections without creating a government that's linking them all together, but still controlling those ultimate different entities. Harry, Harry do you want to jump right, in here? The, the thing that's been uh, bothering me, like all, everyone answers this question, is, is a calling a li- li- libertarian utopia. Just because a libertarian utopia doesn't mean lack of government. Libertarian, you can still have a government with lib- and, and still be in libertarianism. Uh, <gasps> and each, and each, hmm? <gasps> what do you mean? Yeah. You yes, sh- you can. You can have a government. It's you okay. Loser club, no real libertarian <laughs> having status. What are you talking about? <laughs> Explain explain what you mean, like because I think people hear that and they think the current government. But what describe what you're talking about? uh, You can have a libertarian society and have a government. You can have people that want to come together to want to form a, I don't know, let's call it a government that wants to like. How do we protect our freedoms from everyone else who wants to infringe on them? We create a governing body to make sure we enforce the laws we want to respect our 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 area, like a homeowners association. Homeowner association, a but if you but if you want to call it an association, a justice league, or government, whatever it's called, that's what you're doing. And the other thing is, and other government uh, jurisdictions you can have partnerships with because one, if we have, uh, let's say that L.A. and Fresno that you guys want to have a good working relationship with each other, and L.A. doesn't want thieves and thieves and rapists, and Fresno doesn't want those too. If you guys talk to you like, hey, this thief and you know, thief and thief and rapist just went to your town, can you pick them up for us? Cool, we don't want this guy either. We'll send him back to you. Yeah, just like okay. nations, you have Interpol, where you have the international policing agency, you have extradition treaties. It's in the it's in the best interest of these governing bodies to work together. 
and to coordinate. Here in Indiana, the uh, the, the mayor of Indianapolis, which is roughly 25% of the state's revenue and population, uh, they reached out to all the surrounding counties and said, hey, why don't we pool our money and buy road salt in bulk and buy road signs in bulk? And, buy, and so that's what they did, and they saved the taxpayer money taxpayers of all those counties and municipalities a ton of money because everybody worked together through a state agency. The difference in what Harry's talking about and what we have now is that you would voluntarily choose to live under the agreements and the laws of Fresno County and L.A. County in your example versus you were born into America and Fresno County. Now, you can choose to move from Fresno County to California. It's not a burden, an undue burden to move from county to county. It is an undue burden to move from the United States to Canada. And so that's why you want to keep government as small as possible because it keeps it more voluntary. It keeps Mm -hmm. it more of a choice than what we have now where you have a large centralized government. And it doesn't matter where you go in the – across the United States, you're still under the authority of a large centralized state. And that's the problem. It's – it isn't that government won't exist because the nature of human organization is that you have the same problems in governments that you have in corporate boardrooms, that you have in nonprofits, that you have in churches. I learned everything about politics in the United Methodist Church when we hired and fired three youth pastors in three years. So don't tell me politics doesn't exist in private voluntary organizations. It absolutely does. Politics will not cease, but your choice to participate it participate in it will exist so does the idea of governing bodies working to harry is there anything else that you'd like to add to that before i ask jeff something oh i was just no you can go ask jeff i'll let you okay so does that make sense to you jeff like it it it, i i pick on the idea of private courts because i'm not totally sold on the idea of the the complete and total removal of force i want to give the uh I want to – if you're going to centralize force, you want it to be as close to the people as humanly possible uh, and really only around issues of justice and courts specifically. But everything else can usually be done through free markets, and there probably are great arguments that I just haven't read or run into yet because I'm still, after 15 years learning about libertarianism every day, uh, that that will go – I'll go, oh, okay, I get that piece now. But there will be agencies working together. So does that make you feel a little more comfortable? Like, are you like, okay, maybe I could see myself moving into Ancapistan with Harry and Hody? <laughs> yeah, I know that definitely makes more sense. Um, yeah, I think that definitely does. The other kind of finishing part to that, though, is also, and it leads into my other question. Well, is, hold on there. I want to give Reinhold a chance to jump in because okay, I know Reinhold has something to say. <laughs> Well, um, so <laughs> Reinhold, so you you would all, hold on. Let me ask you a question. Let me because we tease you about being a communist along with our friend Ryan. You would consider yourself more of a classical liberal than maybe an anarchist or an ANCAP. Is that fair to say? And what does that mean, if so? Lockean uh, classic liberal, yeah. So that would be the idea that um, people should be free to live their lives as they choose, as long as, as long as they're not violating the rights of others to the same. And it's that second part that a lot of libertarians get tripped up on, mm-hmm. uh, especially anarchists, because they're like, I, w- I want to be able to live and do whatever I want to do. But the other part of that is protecting other people 
to have that same right. And you can't turn a blind eye to that. So with private police, I have no problem necessarily with private police over government police at all. Uh, it's been done in the United States for uh, hundreds of years. We used to have a group of people called the Pinkertons who uh, were a private police force back in the late 1800s, right? So um, the problem is, is that the same corruption and the same problems that you have in government infect those private in- organizations as well. So what you have to do is make sure you have an oversight method. You have a way to protect the innocent. You have a way to protect the people who could be abused by somebody just buying justice, right? You don't want to have the situation in which it's going to crop up a little bit more. It happens in government too. So it's just, it's just kind of the same thing, but it's, it's kind of a different form, but you still have people buying their own justice, right? You know, somebody could be completely right in, in everything in those private courts, but somebody could come in and give the, give somebody a bunch of extra money and then they get ruled against. Right. So um, you have to kind of keep an eye out for that and have a way to, to manage that um, bef- before you can kind of go down that road. And a lot of it also depends upon whether the people in the community are, are really interested in, in that kind of view. Right. So they have to fight for it. They have to want to protect it. They have to want to protect each other. Even if they disagree with their neighbor, they need to be able to say, I want to protect him. Uh, even though I disagree with him, but I want to protect him, his rights. Right. So that's kind of where I see the private police is where, it can be better than what we have with government. It could be worse than what we have with government. It's a lot more free, but it's also rife for problems. Um, so I just want to make sure that when we think we start thinking about that, we go down the road. We we're also thinking about those protections that need to be in place. Jeff, what do you think about that? I think, yeah, I think that, I think that's kind of true for myself where, I get, I guess a little caught up on those and I am trying to, trying to separate government and those protections um, or those kind of guiding principles in a sense. Um, and yeah, sorry. I'm kind of oh, it's okay. still processing right. that a little bit. You're good. <laughs> Harry. Yeah. I was going to say, and the other thing with the separate entities and I like how do the punishment work, we already have that now. Cer- certain laws have certain punishments depending on which municipality that you're in. Uh, just like um, if you, depending on where you are in the state of Indiana, it's either a crime or a misdemeanor. If you shoot a deer while still on your back porch, you know, depending on which you know, county you're in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think ultimately what Ryan Holm was saying is where I guess where I'm getting more caught up in that is how do you, the, the private security makes sense to me controlling that to a degree without reproducing what we have as a government now, knowing that corrupt things do happen both in business and nonprofits as they do in government. How, how do you put those constraints in there without just getting back and circling back to what we already are at? Which really ties into your second question. So do you want to go ahead and ask that? Yeah. Um, Sorry, I'm going to pull it up. Um, and this was going back to your survival of the fittest conversation that you also did with Adam. Um, but how do, uh, how do libertarians avoid the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer 
through these private organizations running these and controlling different aspects of society or not really controlling, but monitoring. So here is the, the, the thing that is hard for people to accept is that we have that now and we have more government control than ever before, which is partially why we have so much corruption and, and control by the 1%, the evil 1%. Um, <laughs> And there isn't going to be a human system of organization, be it a purely economic organization system like the free market or a political, total political solution like uh, communism or social democratism or whatever you want to call what Bernie Sanders believes. Uh, there, There isn't a, a perfect solution where everybody's going to be happy if you have – a staff of 10 at ampersand ice cream, there's 11 opinions, <laughs> you know? And so the problem with trying to centralize government at a higher and higher and higher level that oversees more and more people is you have more and more opinions and politics plays a bigger factor. And politics is just basically the, the polite version of warfare for the evolved man. Uh, and so, you know, if you want science to be, you don't want science to be politicized. Stop making science political. Um, but the reality is that um, in, in a free society, there will be poor people. There will be rich people. There will be inequality, just as there is now. But what you have in a free society is less of the resources are being taken and given to a bureaucratic state, an administrative state like we have, that wastes that money at an alarming rate for very few results. And in a free society, in, in a bureaucratic state, like we're heading towards or we exist in now, choices are usually voted on and political considerations are applied. And so things are much more up in the air. It's much harder to get things done through Congress than it is in a boardroom often. So you have a lot more uh, nimbleness and uh, f uh, easier time to make choices. And the wonderful thing about a free society is that you always have the ability to convince some rich person that your idea is worth funding. It doesn't matter how crazy your idea is. You can get some nut to do it. Who would have ever thought, you know, Jeff, we're, I'm 36. You look like you're probably somewhere uh, near my age. Uh would you ever have thought in the early 2000s that there would be two or three private space companies? No. No. It's an idea that uh, some crazy billionaires just decided, like, I really like the right stuff, and I want to fly on a plane to space, and I have stupid money, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> and so you have the ability to convince. I do a show called Now Hear This, which you can listen to the podcast on the We Are Libertarians Network, but... You know, you're talking to people, and we're not talking about stupid stuff. We're talking about, well, there was one that we just did with the Exotic Feline Rescue Center. It is completely legal to own a lion or a tiger in most states. You can go on right now, and you can buy a tiger, and what people do is they buy a tiger because they want to take the Instagram photo with a baby tiger for the social proof. And then that tiger turns three months old and is the size of a St. Bernard and has the manners of my house cat. And they're like, shit. 
And so in 1991, <laughs> someone in Terre Haute decided to do something about it and open this big cat rescue center. And they have 150 animals there of people who, in a free society, made a bad choice. And somebody stepped up to take care of those big cats. Or you have the Starfish Initiative, which realized like, there's disadvantaged economically disadvantaged students in usually in rural or urban schools who need somebody in in their life to explain to them how to go to college because they're from families that no one has ever gone to college. And so that's a tremendous amount of disparity in terms of just information. And so these are very bright kids that get into this initiative that get a mentor, usually from a cross-cultural, you know, so if uh, I, I assign, I apply as a mentor, then they're going to give me, the middle-aged white guy, a young black female, most likely, because they want the diversity. They want people to learn from each other. And so, well, that's a very specific idea that is wildly, massively funded by the local uh, com- big-wig community, the the anthems and the lilies and the big companies here in town that, that fund those things. And so um, very narrow, very specific ideas are constantly funded by people who have money or corporations that is a group of people that have collected their money and are willing to give back to these specific projects. And every single one of these interviews, it's one person saw a need and said, I'm going to organize some activity to solve that need and then 20 years down the line, they're bringing in millions in in revenue that they're then giving to people who have the problem that they're trying to solve. It, does the problem always get solved? Is, is it a perfect system? No. But the, the need for people to take care of, of problems will always be there. And so will there be bad actors who will take advantage of the poor, who will take advantage of a private system, who will use it to their advantage? Absolutely. But the vast majority of people, like the people on this call right now, will go, yeah, I saw somebody in need and I had an extra $1,000 a month in revenue because I had spent less on government that wasted that revenue and put it towards some activity that actually solved the problem. And so the concept that is always spun against libertarianism is that it's survival of the fittest. We've got to help people. If we don't do Medicare for all, then people are going to die in the streets. And this system is so cruel and evil. And the reality is that it is cruel and evil to set up a bureaucracy that doesn't help people because you think that you're doing something compassionate by stealing someone else's money to give them health care that doesn't work to make you feel better, but you're not helping because the, actual solution is to move away the other direction from the way that we've moved over the last 100 years and so the less the more choices the more organizations the more activity the more spontaneous order that comes out of a free market system the harder it is to control but once you start to centralize everything and once you start to put all of the power into the presidency or the congress then a Michael Bloomberg says, I'm going to spend $2 billion of my money to get control of this lever because it has tremendous power and I can wield that force to however I want. And Hody Johns doesn't have the same ability to do it because he doesn't have $2 billion to build name ID. He's got a podcast, you know, which is fair name ID for sure, but it's not $2 billion worth, trust me. And so 
the reality is that the more that you centralize things and give force, the power of force and, and government power, the more it, 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 the easier it is to control. So corruption becomes easier. Am I even close to answering your question? Yes, you are. <laughs> okay. Um, so if everything is privatized, Hody, Reinhold, Harry, you, whoever wants to go next, I'll open up the floor to you guys. Um, how do we make sure that the poor and the economically disadvantaged have access to services in a free society? Well, um, we could. Let's go. With, let me go with Harry. We'll go with seniority. Harry first, then Reinhold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Take that, Reinhold. <laughs> seniority on the podcast, not in life. Yes, right. right. Yeah. Okay, that's. Right. We'll make sure. Certainly not based Saving on the attendance. best for last. <laughs> Oh, oh yeah. All right. So, just like Spangle said, we would always keep ha- we would always have poor people. It's it's just a fact of life. Yeah. But one part of our society that does happen, which is part of human nature, is that if we suspect that someone is doing something, that we have um we have this bias that we suspect someone to it. That's why one thing they always teach you into like trauma response training is that you point at someone, you tell, Hey, you, you call 911. You, you, you do that. You tell someone to do it. Instead of so, so like someone called 911, everyone will assume someone else is calling. So you should direct someone to call 911. This is the same way. So if someone, if you see homeless, stuff like that, someone always assume, well, the government's got that because you've outsourced it for so long, or you just assume some other agency has it. They've got it. They've got doing it. But with that, that all around, you've got to do it. Your uh, uh, organizations could see that from themselves. A lot of more churches will have more money in their coffers because people have more to give for their tithe and actually help out their communities on their on their own and come up with different solutions to help people in need in their own in their areas instead of coming with a cookie cutter. Uh, you know, Washington DC type of answer that pushes out to everyone because what works for California or New York probably will not work for Iowa or Wyoming or Indiana. Just like homeless solution here in Indiana, like a lot of issues, a lot of ways to fix homelessness in Indiana will does not correlate or work to uh to LA. One housing here is actually kind of inexpensive. A lot of the issues with the homeless here is uh one is uh what is it, drug addiction and the access to mental health, you know? Uh, the Wheeler Mission does a great job at that. I think. Uh, well, Harry, people- let's let's look at media. So I'm just sitting here listening to you, and I'm thinking Jeff gives this podcast. If if we had the BBC and we had a centralized media outlet, Winston Churchill in World War II was not allowed to go on British airwaves before World War II when he wasn't prime minister and talk about Hitler and the threats of Nazi Germany because he was not allowed on the British airwaves because it was a centralized power. Now, if you centralized all the podcast and all the audio content and all the media in the world, would maybe you could go, well, that well, there's reasons for that, right? But because you have no centralized authority, no centralized power, somebody like me can go, you know what? There's a need in the market for a smart talk show based around independent libertarian ideas. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to work really hard at it. And then I bring people along like you guys to participate in it. And then Jeff goes, I really like what they're doing. I'm going to give to them. And what you get is you get 900,000 podcasts giving individual attention and great service at a manageable level 
instead of one giant bureaucratic overarching organization that, yeah, they may have some resources to do some cool stuff like NPR does, but try and get a hold of Google. Try to get a hold of YouTube. Try to get a hold of NPR if you want to have a conversation with them. Jeff sent me an email, and I said, yeah, man, come on, right? And so healthcare, uh, trash pickup, uh, uh, streetlights, public access, which kind of goes into the next question, like, it's more individualized attention. It's it's a free market economy allows you to talk to the people that you voluntarily engage with in the way that you can get a hold of your favorite podcaster pretty easily. But try and get a hold of Anderson Cooper. He doesn't see your tweets or read your tweets. Now, are there production advantages to Anderson Cooper's setup versus our little Zoom call here? Sure. But to Jeff, that content is worth something every month. And... So that Harry, that that dispersion, that spontaneous order, that emergent order, mm-hmm. as we might say, of individuals pursuing their passion, like me, I'm passionate about podcasts and I'm passionate about libertarianism. Mm-hmm. I merged my two p- passions and I created something great, and that is an emergent emergent thing, a spontaneous. Uh, nobody had to direct me. No central power had to tell me what to do. I didn't walk over to Jeff and put a gun to his head. Jeff, if I put a gun to your head and I said, you're now giving X amount of dollars every year to the We Are Libertarians podcast because everyone needs to hear this. I think everyone needs to hear this, and you seem like a rich guy, so I'm going to take more of your money. How how would that make you feel? Would you enjoy supporting We Are Libertarians if that happened? Every minute of it. No, uh, no. (laughs) Tread harder. (laughs) Yeah, tread harder, Daddy. So, okay, Uh, Reinhold, you're you're next. If how would how would uh, we give access to everyone and and give them services? Well, I think we're kind of morphing into your third question, Jeff. So, do you want to go ahead and ask your third question? your third question and uh then we'll give reinhold and hody a chance to answer it because i think they're going to answer probably what your question is gotcha and uh yeah chris you touched on it already but how do public services most specifically roads streetlights and public access ways work in a libertarian libertarian environment and i'll give some like and to kind of all of these questions some of the things that i will like tie into like what I see. So Fresno, we're the cent- we're in central California. We have a lot of like outskirt cities um, that are much smaller. Um, some that don't even have their own police force. They use the County police force or highway patrol actually to those areas. Um, and so when I'm thinking about some of these questions, I'm thinking about areas like that, that with even like a County or a, um, I don't know, like a private entity, most of these outlying cities are impoverished and poor. How do we like, how does all of that come together to ensure that all of that without it being more centralized to where the majority or the suburban areas are? Right. I would say, yeah, I would say in, in kind of following the vein of what we were just talking about and moving into this one, um, that it would kind of be done similarly to what is, being done now, but in a different form because, and what I mean by that is, so government is really just people deciding to do things together, right? That's all government is. So and then putting a gun to everyone else's head. Yeah. And then getting, putting a gun <laughs> to people who, who decide that they don't want to be part of. So like 
in order for a, for a law to get put into place, more than half the people have to kind of agree with that law, right? Well, what if, what if those people just got together and did it anyway without the government, right? You'd still take care of it. Uh, we, I live in a, one of these types of places that you talk about where we don't have a local police. I don't even live in a city of any kind. I live in, in the county. I don't have a city municipality around me. Um, and we don't have, I don't have, uh, I have a well instead of, you know, a water company. And I have, uh, we don't have a fire department. We have a volunteer fire department, right? So we take care of ourselves. We take care of our neighbors. We know who our neighbors are because we are in a community together, right? So the biggest problem that's happened in a lot of the cities, and I, and I see this a lot, is that people are, ta- are, are paying their taxes and they're, they're, passing these laws and saying, okay, we're taking care of everybody through this method. Um, but there's, then there's no reason to go help your neighbor out because you, you've already given to help the neighbor out. So you never get to know who your neighbor is. You know, it used to be the, these little communities, everybody knew each other, right? You knew who your the guy across the street was. You knew the guy down the road. You knew who all these people were. If somebody needed help, you'd go help them. And you see that today when there's, when there's something that happens, people come together and just want to give money and help. Like the recent story about the, the little kid who was being bullied, you know, the little, um, there's some questions about it, but the little person. Yeah. That the, that Brad Williams was supporting. Yeah. Right. But there was people just poured money into that because it, 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 it was something they cared about. So as long as, as long as you care about your neighbors and you get to know who they are and you see that they're in trouble, you go help them. I see that all the time. When I, when I grew up a great story, um, when I grew up, we were in a, um, it's a small, it's, so it's a small area and there's two townships. So the small school, I think there were 40 people in my graduating class, right? So it's not a big place, but everybody knew each other. And we're in the middle of a basketball game, you know, a high school basketball game. And somebody walks up to the announcer, to the person who's like doing the announcing for the game and says something to them. And they turned off and they said, Hey, is anybody from this family or knows this family in, in the stand somewhere? And and the lady screamed because their house is on fire Mm. and over half of that um, stadium, half the people that were there jumped up and ran, jumped in their cars and went down there and took care of it. Right. And it was just something to see. I mean, you see that and you realize what communities are and what people are, what they can do to help each other. You don't need government to tell you to do this. You don't need a guy with a gun telling you to help your neighbor out. You will help them. So I, I think it, government gets in the way and prevents this natural state from happening, right? So, I mean, that's, I guess that's kind of where I'm going with that is that I think that it would be better taken care of because right now we have people who fall off the system. We have people who, you know, depending on who's in power, the political power at the time, they don't get taken care of or they get taken too much care of. And, you know, the, the money's the bezel the wrong way and there's no real oversight because can't really oversight that a private company you can oversight if they're not doing their job you get rid of them and get somebody else a small community um could hire um, a neighboring community to help them and, and make a deal with them for a small cost that, that benefits both sides so th- there's plenty of ways to take care of this in a non-government form and i think it works better because you you end up rebuilding that sense of community that that seems to be getting lost these days right 
So my turn. Odie, uh, Odie you, go ahead. You, you, you can wait. Yeah, I'm just I'm chomping at the bit here. After we had to skip section two, I was like, oh. Uh, so you asked specifically five questions. This third question, how do public services work, is the only one that I felt there was like a boom shakalaka answer for like the libertarians because <laughs> like this is one that actually is is pretty well done by boom, the market the government you nerd boom shakalaka boom shakalaka <laughs> you're so innocent yet so not <laughs> so one of the uh when you talk about the roads uh private versus public there's really no comparison uh in, including the effectiveness of how they're paid for and a lot of people think when they think of roads they still like well who's going to pay for them and and our thought is always well it's either the people or the government which is an embodiment of the people, right? But that's actually incorrect. Um, the oldest stretch of highway in the United States is in Iowa. Uh, shout out to, to Dale. How you doing in Iowa, buddy? Um, and it is built. it was built by farmers. It was built in 24 hours. Of course, it's been updated and modernized and everything like that. But it was uh, stretched the whole span of the state. Now, why did the farmers build that? Because they wanted you to have access to their food and the things that they supply. And so they actually built it. And this is a, this is actually what businesses were doing before government kind of takeovers. They were like, well, we want a railroad. We want a road. So I guess we'll just, we'll build it. And then of course, does that cost still get rolled over into the cost of the goods? Yes. But somebody is paying it regardless. Right. And so this is the cheapest way to do it is when you do it at the source, right? Every time you put in a middleman, you put in another guy who's getting paid. And especially when that middleman is government, we're where there's a lot of waste. But when you just say, hey, let's do it at the source. I want this road. I want people to get here safely. If it's my road, I'm responsible for it. So I don't want their cars getting dinged up because then who's going to come get my stuff, right? Right. And then I want it to go to your house. I want it to be as convenient as possible, not only to get to my store, but for you to get back to your home. You know, nobody's going to go to the grocery store if it's, you know, five minutes to get there and 800 hours to get home, you know? And so there's things like that that, that just happen. Um, we actually, I had a guy on the show, Joe Patchkel, um, back when we were doing the dailies and he uh, works for the electric company and says there's whole sections that they can't, they aren't allowed to go to federally. And they're like, well, we could light up every house on this block if, each one gave us like $5 and they're like, well, we mandate that everybody pays at least $30. And so um, we're going to limit it to these areas. Hmm. And, and so there's actually things in place. And this is something uh, going back to your question too. How do we stop the rich from getting richer and the poor to get poorer? You can't stop either one. Somebody's going to be poor as what they want. And people are going to be as rich as they want. Now I do want to shout out to my lib socks out there. There are absolutely libertarian philosophies where if equality is more important to you than standard of living, it's out there. Um, I would specifically go to Prudhomme, the philosophy of poverty. Uh, he was a non-government, but equality was the most important thing. And you can build that society if you want. If you say, I'm willing to sacrifice a lot of these quality of life things to make sure that everybody is equal intellectually, as long as other people value that, then there's a market for it. Even if it's small, there's a market for it because you can meet people and build it and decide to build in a, you know, a society where that's there. Now, I don't want to get into brutalism because capitalism is very, very good for poor people. Now I'm going to speak as a capitalist because that's what I am. I don't want to, I don't want to misconstrue a libertarian socialist thing. And so maybe it's something for a different person to ask, but let me give you the kind of the capitalist Call the loser club. The loser (laughs) club. Yeah. I am uh, proudly not part of that loser club. I kind of wish I was because I don't like the people dunking on them right now, but I'm, I'm, I'm a capitalist, unfortunately. Uh, the thing about the rich getting richer is it doesn't actually, that's not what makes the poor poorer. 
The idea that wealth comes at the expense of poor people is incorrect. Uh, something that you look at when they're at kind of the fall of feudalism, when we had anarchy for a little bit, you saw what the, what happened to the, is the rich who were wearing the silks. There was a limited market for it. But within 20 years, pretty much everybody was wearing silk after, you know, after these kings and lords were like, well, I guess you're allowed to trade with whoever you want now. Everybody's wearing silk. So what did those guys move on to? Well, they started looking at cottons and denims and starting going up above there. So what happened is the rich were still one step above in areas. Uh, tulips is, a, is another great example. And there was a really expensive at first. And a poor person could never afford a tulip. But within 10 years, poor person can pull them like weeds from their front yard. Right. And so there's always there's a buffer behind what happens. This is true for socialists and capitalists. I'll wrap it up real quick. Socialists and capitalists alike. What happens in an unregulated re- regulated market? It generates to excess. What you know about supply and demand? When there's an excess, there's too much supply. There's not enough demand. Something will become cheaper. So if the market wants to generate something to excess, right, like cotton or tulips or whatever it may be, that means eventually it will be free or cheap, right? This is true of housing. This is true in food. We here in America. Don't know if you knew this. We actually destroy about 50% of our raisin and grape supply to keep it artificially expensive. It's cartel. Uh, there's, a, there's a big Cato. Cato actually is dealing with the litigation. They do podcasts about it, but you can read about it there. But to keep food more expensive, we actually have to destroy some of it because we have too much of it. And what happens is if it becomes cheap, that's bad for government economy because they don't spend as much and it doesn't look like the economy is big. But for your average poor person, if grapes are and, and raisins are supposed to be free, I mean, you can't tell me that doesn't help them. If you're telling me that clothing could basically be free if we didn't create these artificial constraints, you know, that's the problem with the central is, is these rich class will buy out a government and make them do things that benefit them and consolidate them. You take that out of the way and they've lost their authority in order to make what the market wants to do, which is take all these luxuries and make them cheap. There you go. All right, Jeff, does that clear up those two questions for you? Or do you have more based around the, that those specific questions? No, I think that clarifies things for me. All right, good. So I'm hoping somebody has an answer to number four because I don't know. Uh, go ahead and <laughs> uh, Go ahead and ask number four. Uh, number four was uh, how does currency slash central banking work? Is there a, is gold the standard? Is cryptocurrency the answer? All right, and the nerd the caucus is lining up to answer. Harry is rubbing his hands <laughs> They're all together, excited over there, biting at the bit. <laughs> Bitcoin. Go ahead, Harry. What's your answer? Uh, you should, uh, you should unmute yourself. yourself. Uh, you've, this is like your 150th episode. You're <laughs> freaking kidding me, man. You still have it muted. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, for God's sake. All right, so there you go. Uh, Jeff, would you like to be a co-host? There's an what? opening immediately. <laughs> go ahead, Harry. Sign All me right, up, so, uh, Personally, it, that's the beauty about like a libertarian or elevator society or just the market. You can have multiple currency. It's it's okay. If you want to have that central bank fiat currency over in the corner, you can have that. If you want to have a gold-backed currency, you can have that too. If you want cryptocurrency, you can have that too. You can have any version of cryptocurrency. Harry, and maybe if you can't answer this, somebody else can. But let's get really fundamental and just, like, why do we have a problem with fiat currency? And what does that even mean? Because I think that term probably is going over Jeff's head a little bit. 
Oh. Yeah, he's shaking his head yes. Jeff, have you ever heard the word fiat other than in reference to a car? No, I have not. Okay, so let's explain that concept. Like, why do libertarians have a problem with paper money? Ron Paul told us so. <laughs> I, that's a fair statement. <laughs> Done. I totally get it now. Yeah, I'm good. good. Yeah. Right. Thank you. So currency uh, is uh, supposed to represent products and services. That's Hody talking. It's fiat if it uh, if it doesn't. Essentially, if it just represents the worth of the money that the government says it is. Basically, it's taking somebody's word for it as opposed to it being representative products and services. Sorry, go ahead, Harry. Right. So money fine. backed by gold is different than money backed by. We promise this money's good. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right, Harry, go ahead. Yeah, we promise the money is good. If you don't take it, we have men with guns and we will force anyone to take it or make sure that you'll just have some sort of regime regime change if you wanted to use some other currency. No petrol dollars, please. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the race, uh, so the gold center gets brought up because a lot of people like gold-backed currencies because the idea that gold has never been worth nothing, just like Microsoft stock. But that's all based off like a... You know, there's a lot of different things that haven't been worth nothing before. And gold, while it's a good currency, if it, there's not enough gold to go around for everything, so things are valued different different ways. That's why, and it's also hard to transfer hard gold. So that's why promissory notes get set up for gold sitting in a bank. Beauty of cryptocurrency is that uh, it's hard to you can't really inflate or turn cryptocurrency into fiat because it's basically got worse than what, what the network has works. There's so many, there's only so many freaking coins. You can make tons of different ones. That's the other good thing about a lot of cryptocurrency. If they built on a block, if they're built on a blockchain, so block, let's just so call cryptocurrency or just blockchain or crypto, or technology built on a blockchain, like a currency built on a blockchain is that it can't be, it's hard for, a central government can have their own cryptocurrency. They can have their own. They can try to do the stuff with it. But you can. But the idea is, you can also have other currencies outside that system, and that's the beauty of it. So you allow the market to decide what currency they want to use and what they want to use it for. Some people, if you just want to deal with Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash or Dash, or you want to use some sort of like dark coin or just Doge, you just want to deal in Doge. And then if you want to switch back to like a greenbacks or me personally i you know i only trade with reinhold and bluebacks you know uh, like are you feeling more confident in a free society now that you don't know what the fuck he's talking about with any of you <laughs> like people have to harry people have to understand the common principle like i guess oh. they 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 believe in fiat currency even though they don't understand the basic you know i was in an argument about medicare for all recently on the pat down and they're like just print more money i'm like oh. You were just complaining <laughs> about the increasing cost of medical care, but you don't care about inflation. So, like, yeah. that's, I think, Harry, one criticism of your crypto future is that people don't quite understand. They hear Dogecoin and they just think of memes and it's sort of like not serious. And so it's like, I don't get what blockchain even is. So, don't you see that as kind of like a, a barrier to it moving forward and being implemented? No, I don't see that as a barrier. Some things, there's just, some things out there just won't have a grandma just button. Just won't. And it's more because the things that have a grandma just button are insecure or sometimes crap. It's just what it is. Um, the idea of currencies, the thing is, it's just what you trade for goods and services. It gets us outside of the barter system because if I want, you know, Spangle to make me coffee and the only thing I got to trade with him is my labor on the podcast for blueberries, well, I'll tell you right now, he only eats so many blueberries. 
<laughs> you know, so but it's easier to trade it with, you know, greenbacks, you know, like, hey, can you can I, you know, buy, make sure you buy me coffee, don't drink it all, and, mm-hmm. you know, or put it in his or put it all in his pre workout, you know, but that's all and all cryptocurrencies is just that in a digital math form. So instead of it being physical in front of you, which you can do if you form a paper wallet, which is risky and hard, it's not hard to do, it's just risky because now it's paper, but so. All right, got to hit myself on that one. All right, so <laughs> Jeff, is any of the? Are you following? Are you tracking Harry, or do you have more questions? Like, is he uh, like the, the crypto stuff? Do you just go, huh? <laughs> I'm a little huh on the crypto thing, but I I get the concept of yeah, and I I understand the concept of um like goods and services being exchanged and going back to that like core belief. Um, but yeah, so I guess I just try to figure out how that translates to common present times. Okay. All right, how about this? Let's take it to an internet marketplace. Right now, let's say you have an internet marketplace and you're selling your ice cream on the internet, right? You can Let's say you have a revolution where you can just pack it, ship it, give it to FedEx, send it anywhere else in the world, right? So now you're having to deal with people from other world. Are you going to not sell someone in the EU because they just have euros? Yep, you're going to go through a money exchange or exchange it to the currency that you want. You're just going to tape it, take it, and accept it. So it's like that. And then you've got – so if the world currencies you've got out there that you can trade in and for your own groceries that you create. Now, what it does is that competition market makes so certain people, uh, certain, let's say, um, state actors don't de- artificially devalue or artificially value their currencies. You make sure they don't artificially inflate or deflate their currencies. Because it won't be, it's hard to trade it on the world stage. Either no one wants to take it, or you make it so everybody wants to take it. So that's why everyone wants to take the um, U.S. greenback because you know it's and why it's a world reserve currency because everybody wants it. Yeah, they believe into its safe securities that this dollar will always remain a dollar. Uh, you know, just about whatever happens. Let's go to Reinhold next. We haven't talked to our buddy. Okay, in a while. so just just kind of get into this a little bit. Uh, at a more basic level for me to kind of start with the, the idea of currency, the idea of, of, of having something that we use to as a placeholder, right? So if I've got a bunch of goods and you've got some services and we want to trade them, I may not need your exact services, but somebody else does. So I can use this um, placeholder to say, okay, this is kind of worth this. We agree on what this is worth. And it's that's an the efficiency thing all move. These different- yeah, it's a it's an efficient way yeah. to to kind of supercharge things, you know. So you're char- you're exchanging fifteen hours of labor for that turnip, as opposed to I worked one hour for one turnip and two hours for two turnips. Right, and and so so this 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 allows the um, the society to kind of exchange goods and services in a more efficient way. And all of these things we're talking about, whether it's paper currency, whether it's gold, whether it's cryptocurrency, all of these are all the same in that regard, that they are just placeholders. And we have to, um, that their value is only as much as we, we agree that they, it is. So I have to agree that it's this much and you have to agree that it's this much. And this other person have to, has to agree to that in order for it to work. Right. So in a, I think in a libertarian society, um, how that ha- happens is going to work itself out one way or the other. People are going to agree to use this, or they're going to agree to use that. And 
and there's going to be different options, right? So you're going to have different states or different communities using primarily using a different type of currency than maybe another state or whatever. But then you just have exchanges set up, right? So you can have exchanges to take care of that like we do between United States and uh, Russia or Vietnam or something. Yeah, when we want to exchange money, we just uh, we agree on the value based off of, of the different currencies we're using and we can exchange back and forth. So just like in the marketplace of other things, in the marketplace of currency, what people feel is the best currency is going to end up winning out uh, as long as people still feel confident in it until the time that they don't and it goes away and people start using something else. That's pretty much it for me on that. So That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a, you know, like I know Hody's very, very much more into the, economics and and harry both too on on that sort of thing i just know that a lot of times we talk about this stuff in a in a really deep way and we kind of argue over the cryptocurrencies over whether we have gold standards and the fed and all that stuff but really it all comes down to what are we going to agree to use as long as a value is assigned to it and we agree to it that's what'll work yeah uh jeff any any comments or questions i want to make sure you feel free to jump in if you hear something you're like hey uh can you clarify that you know but i i know people don't feel comfortable so i always try to give you an opportunity so i have no problem jumping in so yeah i know that it's clear all right hody anything you'd like to say about this yeah you know uh it's funny he's 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 humble this guy Reinhold over here, but really you don't have to be a mastermind to understand that it's good for competition is great in all things. And that includes currency. It's hard for us. It's hard for me to get through my head that there would be competing currencies. And I say, Oh, this is just going to be a pain and there's going to be exchange rates and all this stuff. I got a real good uh, solution here. When, when I saw this question, there's this thing, it's called what is free banking and why is it important? It's from learn Liberty. It's a three minute and 22 second video real quick. And will make most people who are concerned about it feel very excited for it as well as comfortable with the concept. Uh, you know, basically what, what you're trying to do is to say, this good represents this, this represents this service. Harry and I might disagree a little bit. I think crypto is way, way better than fiat currency. I don't even want to try to lump them in the same. I don't really like the idea that it's mined information that's not a, it's still not like a, a product or service. I don't even really like the gold standard because it's like, well, you actually have to value gold as something. And I could just say, well, it's just a rock, you know, and they say, well, we always got to deal with something, right? And societies have always dealt with something. The theory though, and, and what something, what we started to do before central banking actually stopped this, and this is actually in a global movement. It happened, it was happening in like Scotland as well as America before central banking came, at all, came along, is banks would exchange your goods for money and say, okay, well, you know, you want something more flexible, that's a market demand. We want to be able to say, hey, I have 100 shoes, but I can't eat 100 shoes. I can't ride to work on 100 shoes. I need, I need to be able to spend it in ways that can turn it into food and, and things like that. And so a bank would exchange it. Now, if it, the way the banks kept each other honest is because they were responsible for their own notes. And so a bank would say, well, I'm only, if you want to change your bills into stuff here, those guys give way too much money for shoes or they give way too few money for shoes. So you can always convert it into a more valuable currency from a different bank. And it actually was the same looking dollar bill, but where you got that printed out was very different. For those who want to say that ca capitalism always ends in monopoly, this is actually a great counterpoint because the more banks we got, it actually expanded 
the more it actually expanded more options because people wanted to say, well, I want better value on shoes. I want better rates on my car or gasoline or something like that. And so there were always these cropping up that were like, Hey, we'll give you the best rate on this, that, and the other. And it, and the more society advanced, the more these banks came to be and the more these notes competed and uh, yeah, it was just a good time. There you go. Yeah. One book that I would recommend that really was very helpful in this area is Peter Schiff's how an economy grows and why it crashes. And Peter Schiff is a great, excuse me, great economist. Uh, (laughs) Beautiful. His his uh, his brother, I think his brother Andrew is his name, is infected by emotional over community, and now now we're seeing him get emotional over uh, economics. Exactly (laughs) exactly right, but uh, yeah, how uh, Chard Reed at Plainfield when he was the business teacher used to use this as an economics textbook for kids. It's great. Um, but I highly recommend it because it really does kind of speak to this in a very – and you can see if you're watching the YouTube or the Zoom, it's got all kinds of pictures. It's like really like well pictures. illustrated. It's it's, I read in like two hours, yeah. So I'm, I've been thinking about rereading it, so I'll just put this over here. So, um, uh, yeah, so – uh, does that answer your question? Does is this is a very complicated topic, so I don't know that we can fully uh, flesh this out in just a few minutes. But hopefully, you have a little bit more clarity. Uh, any Absolutely. other questions or or thoughts on that? No, I think that I mean it, it's what I have processed in my mind, and obviously, I understand the concept of goods for goods, and so um, I think a lot of that makes sense to me awesome so and, let, and, let let us go to your fi- before we go oh go ahead Reinhold. Well, i just want one more thing is um because we you kind of mentioned a little bit about asking about a central bank and that sort of thing the, um there's a there's a great documentary called um uh, money for nothing inside the federal reserve uh, i'd recommend reading it or watching that it's a it's just a wonderful documentary it details kind of the history of the of the federal reserve how it got to where it's at now and why it was kind of the the reason why we had the, the big crisis in 2008. So very good. Cool. All right, let's go to your final question. What is it? So uh, I think, and my final question comes from from this is that I think uh, the more I've learned about libertarianism and kind of knowing where our society is now, and also talking to a lot of people about their political views that. I don't want to say that aligns specifically with me, but knowing what people are looking for in society, um, what does it take for the Libertarian Party to come together and make it? Oh, sorry, no, you're serious. <laughs> okay. I, I'm probably asking an impossible question yeah. here. Um, but like where, obviously, as we've talked about, there's there's a lot of different viewpoints. There's a, a large umbrella in the Libertarian Party from anarchist to anarchist to anarcho-capitalist, how do we at least move the dial in the right direction and come together as a party to take this opportunity right now where we're in a society that like, I think a lot of people, and I, and I will say that what really brought me into, into libertarianism is that I was a belief for open borders. I believe that our country is here for immigrants. And then on the flip side of that, I believe that, capitalism should exist and it's what's best for our society and nonprofits need to step in and, and take care of people and um, a society in that way without a government 
mandating or controlling those type of things is better for everyone. And I think 90% of our population in the United States right now would probably agree with that, at least from my viewpoint. Now, I have a California viewpoint, so maybe it's people around me. Um, but how do we as a party come together to take this opportunity where I think nobody really believes in either side of the aisle um, as far as Democrat or Republican and at least get a message that can be palatable to the general public and start the process down that way um, to a more libertarian society. So I'll take this one first and then uh, you guys can jump in after I've given my monologue. Okay. Um, (laughs) I think, and, and you tell me if I'm wrong, Jeff, but, I think the we are libertarians approach of people first is incredibly important because I think that the idea that we're here, we're not trying to push a political party or a political figure. We're not here trying to push um, abstract ideas. We're not trying to push economics. And I don't have any, any problem with people who, who kind of like that's their, their lead. That's their passion. You know, somebody who, who may do a show or may be a, a, a like a person who's a devoted follower of the Mises Institute, what tickles their fancy is economics. And that's never really been something that uh, I know a ton about. And it, you know, I'm reading Thomas Sowell's Basic Economics right now and Milton Friedman's Capital and Freedom, and I'm like rereading the same things. I just don't have that brain. Right, but I have a people-oriented brain, which is, I think, it's one reason like why Reinhold and I get along is we understand politics and we understand people and we enjoy talking about that and we enjoy the games of it and we enjoy the, you know, th- that aspect. Um, I was thinking of that today about Reinhold. I was like, you know, what what he really gets and what I think most of the hosts gets, like Hody and Harry and, and everybody that contributes, is like, and Ryan, like I. If you go back and listen to my path episode with Ryan, it's like I don't agree with him on several different things, but he's people first, and that's what's really important. Is that um, you know when I'm on the pat down, and we just did an episode arguing for our patrons about Medicare for all, and like they wanted to push me into the camp of it's all about money and it's just greed that you can't you can't say you can't afford it cuz that's greedy and i'm like no you don't understand it has nothing to do with money cuz i don't genu- generally care about money uh i'd be probably a lot spammier with we are libertarians uh <laughs> and do more of the pyramid scheme stuff um than i do it's about people like jeff who listen to this program and go man i connect with that well, Jeff, why do you think you connect with We Are Libertarians? What is it about us versus other libertarian outlets that you connect with? What, what Have you thought about that on that level? Yeah, and I think uh, I think you hit the nail on the head that it's about the people. And I, I'm kind of asking this question, like I have my answer, obviously, mm-hmm. for how this moves forward. And so I'm kind of just putting that out there as like where – like to get other viewpoints, then ultimately where can we take that? Cause I think I look at it as especially where we're at now. And I think Chris, you take it the same way of evangelizing. If you're like fire and brimstone, people aren't attracted to that. But if you come alongside people and create relationships with them and build a trust in yourself, then you do that. And I, what I see a lot from the libertarian party is not that it's 
funny hats, big ties, you know, <laughs> yeah. wearing a boot on your head, those type of things and saying, you know, everything needs to burn down. I mean, even if I go back to music that I've listened to, like anarcho punk rock that I used to listen to in high school, like even that is very, for being a non-aggressive party are very aggressive towards those things. And like, you know, and so how do we ease people into that direction and have them understand that? Cause I think a lot of people would really probably fall in line with a lot of the ideals if it was approached a different way. Yeah. And so I think what I've developed, this is just a, my Christian beliefs are a huge part of it. I think if you're, you have to take interest in the welfare of the person that's in front of you and how do you scale that? And uh, second has been, uh, in politics, reporting and media and just seeing, talking to people. That's why we did and still would like to do more of the cost series. Just look at our RSS feed for the word cost. Once you hear how government, how people are affected by public policy in a significant way, you go, this is not empathetic. This is not caring. This is not loving. It's cruel and it's harsh and it takes a lot of money to fight it. Unlike in a free society, in a free market, um, and I think when you start to couch things in, this is not me trying to get over on you. This is not me trying to sell you something that is in my best interest. This is not me trying to scam you to vote for my candidate. This is literally just me going, I see people getting hurt with government and I want to stop that. And people go, okay, I don't agree with your solution. Just like the, the conversation about Medicare for all, it's like they don't agree with my solution, but they kind of started to. Because they were like, okay, I sort of see how – because in the conversation they were like, you know, we got to care about people. We got all, this, all the same stuff you hear from people who are, you know, more Bernie supporting folks or Democrats about Medicare for all and the same sort of things that you see on a daily basis. And they're like, but, you know, we, we these billionaires should get one yacht instead of two. And it's like it's not about that, like – the reality is that if you had a free market healthcare system, empathy is empowered. Where one of the co-hosts told a story about you know being in a car and the with her dad and basically said you know he didn't have insulin and we couldn't afford the insulin shot and the the druggist gave them his prescription to save his life and I'm like that's an example of that one on one personal interaction where empathy took over. And the system didn't matter because there was a hurting human being in front of them. Now, how do we do more of that? Because a government agency that's only open nine to five isn't in the drugstore and you're not able to get a hold of them to figure this stuff out. And really, neither are you with giant multinational corporations. So uh, let's tip that over to the other side. So how do we start to, to scale this down in a lot of ways? And try to find ways, and I and I view that the same way with politics and media. How do you how do you support independence, and how do you support close conversations? You know, and it begins with you starting to invite that into your life, and that begins with you being comfortable with yourself. And I joke about my own insecurities, and I joke about that a lot of that stuff. But I'm not afraid to come in front of this audience and say. I'm a human being, I've gone to therapy, I struggle with these things, and some of those episodes are always the ones where people write in and go, man, thank you so much, I've been thinking that and I felt so alone, you know, and so the more we kind of are putting ourselves out there and taking little risks to talk to, the, talk to people and 
talk to people in a way that isn't hostile that you're, you just don't i just don't engage in debates like if somebody is trying to trick me if somebody's trying to trap me if somebody's trying to be hostile i don't engage, i don't have time for it i'm an adult but if you have a question if jeff comes to me and has a question then i'm going to talk to you about it but if you want to come and you want to argue and call me a trumpetarian or a liberal loser club terrian like i just don't have time for that like i want to get along with everybody and uh you know, my interest is in just loving someone in front of me. And I think you'll be a much more successful human being if you really start with, uh, I'm not trying to sell you on anything. I'm trying to understand you. And I'm, then I want you to understand me. And then how can we kind of get to the middle? Like, I don't think I changed their minds on Medicare for all, and they're not going to change my minds. That's fine. But at least they walk away knowing I don't believe what I believe because I want to hurt people or steal stuff from them. They now understand that I believe what I believe because I don't think that it's the most caring and empathetic system to have centralized health care, right? And so uh, – but I had to put myself in that situation. I had to make the choice to be uncomfortable and have that conversation. And secondly, I had to study. I had to have points. So when the conversation that we didn't prepare for, it just came up, I had points, so I'm not just sitting there kind of going, uh, 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 because it's easy to make the, like in, in the case of Medicare for all, it's easy to make those points. Like if we need government to be empathetic, it's like, but it's hard to make the, the opposite side because it's not fashionable. Uh, and so, you know, first choose to make yourself uncomfortable, choose to put yourself out there. Second study, pay attention, learn, but the reality and the answer to your question, it is you have to do something. You, listener, have to take part in something. It isn't those other guys need to behave. You know, the, oh, the, the fakeitarians they need to behave. Oh, the Mises Caucus, they need to behave. Like, I don't get into all that. Like, the reality is all I can do is control myself and make sure that I'm inviting everybody on We Are Libertarians, and, and if they come on, they're respectful and nice people. And if they have said something that is problematic, challenge them on it. Give them a chance to explain themselves. Try to understand why would they take that position. I just think that open dialogue ends up being healthier in the long run for the movement and healthier in the long run for human beings. Uh, Harry, you've kind of been leaning in. What do you What do you have to say? How do we fix the movement? How do we make it better? Well, I know one thing that will not fix the movement. Uh, that is what uh, – Violence. Violence is always just going to draw people apart, so like that. So a lot of the big igloo memes, while they be funny, no one really wants that. And poking that and making that come on, that's just going to draw more people away from any type of movement. Now it'll be funny. I laugh at those jokes and created some of those memes, but as I always know, that violence is never the answer. So I think remaining peaceful, uh, trying to what 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 Spangle said is just trying to talk and talk with people and give someone a reason to join up and actually be and for once, just, you know, just, just try to form a sense of community. We, you know, on Friday nights for Liberty and chill where the, you know, myself and a group of walnuts, we slowly but surely have been, you know, talking to like just hardcore card carrying socialists who come every Friday to our events. And we talk, we talk about we they understand our point of view we understand theirs um they you know 
even some things where they've brought up where they've got like this is our this is a hard belief that they have and i explained to them how i believe what they just said is the most racist thing i've ever heard all year and you know and and this belief why and why do they and try to figure out why they have these beliefs and these sayings it's just because they believe they're doing a right thing for uh, for minorities when i basically like no that's that's outright racist because you think so little of them um but i didn't like accost him i didn't attack him didn't befriend him or kick him from the table we had this conversation we had a talk and i think that's what one thing with a lot of uh, libertarians or people in the liberty space have is some as much as we love to talk we like to for some reason like to talk with only our end crowd and when someone says something that's you know unbecoming of our special flavor of liberty we don't want to talk to them uh there's multiple paths to liberty and it's a good thing. We are competing things of liberty, and it's a great thing. These are beautiful, awesome, amazing things. You know, it's it's a it's amazing. You know, like uh, just like with Porkfest, when someone created Porkfest for the weekend prior because they felt something was different at Porkfest. Did they, you know, you know, scoff and try to grab them? Well, no, some people did, but eventually they just embraced each other, and you know, it almost just became its own two week festival. It's it's amazing. You know, so yeah. Um, I think that's, uh, choosing not to fight. I, I always have it kind of engaged in the fights and it's fun and it's, you know, I'll do the fights if it's pro wrestling, if everybody's kind of in on it, yeah. then, then it's kind of fun. But like, I don't, I don't do the fights anymore where it's like, you know, serious. I just don't, I don't have the energy for that. Um, uh, Reinhold <laughs> thoughts on how we can save the Liberty movement. Well, okay, so there's two different things. First, there's the Libertarian Party, and then there's the Libertarian Movement. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's really kind of two ways to think about this, right? But really what you want to do, uh, if, if, the, if the main goal is to advance liberty, then that can only be done by going out and advancing liberty. And I'm not talking about going out and, and being like um, Jehovah's Witnesses and knocking on doors and trying to convert people. It's by going out and doing it. Like if um, we say that there, we think that private organizations would run this better or provide uh, healthcare better, then get a, get together with a bunch of people, start a private organization and go do it. You don't need the government's permission to do that. You don't need to worry about the competition with the government. Just go and do it. And once people see that it's working, they're going to question, why are we paying money tax money into the system? when We've already got it taken care of over here. Uh, the great example I've always used is the uh, underwriters laboratories, right? So UL is a private organization. Uh, they were, they put together uh, sets of uh, standards on how to have electrical equipment make sure electrical equipment is safe. And everybody submits their stuff to them because people want to buy stuff that's been UL tested. So we don't have a federal organization for electronics like we do the, the, the federal drug administrate. You know, we don't, we don't have the FDA, in that area. We, we, so we could put together something to start doing something like that um, to replace the FDA. And eventually the FDA won't, won't be needed anymore. We can do that for education. We can do that for all these different things by, by going out there and just making that impact and doing it. Um, then, then I think that's really the key there. Cause then people start seeing that it's working the same way. Same thing goes with the party. You still have to have a political party. So I have to try to, get involved in government and try to direct government uh, to be at least a little less authoritarian than it is. Yeah. Right. So we want to try and get there, but 
there's two different ways. There's two different ways of doing it. And the party needs to embrace both. We get into this tired argument about, well, we shouldn't be doing national stuff. We should be focusing on local and other people saying, no, we have to do national because that's how you get the information out there to the most people. And it's really both. You have to do local races. You have to affect change in your communities, right? That's how you succeed there. But you also have to have the national presence for people to realize that uh, this is a, a, a party to be reckoned with. Right now, with everything being so divisive, libertarians are actually the ones making the decisions on who gets elected, right? You have so many close elections now that the one or two or three or 4% that the libertarian person can get can swing a swing an election. So the candidates have to start saying, we need to pay attention to these people and, and start doing what they want a little bit. Right. So that's how you start affecting change that way. And people start seeing that those things that you're calling for start to work. They're going to give you the more, the opportunity to implement that on a larger scale later on, but you have to prove it. You're not going to be able to, win an election overnight, go in and just dismantle government that next day. I see that being stated by like Kokash says that on, on national TV and everybody laughs at him because that's not going to happen. It's not how it's going to work. Um, so the problem with the libertarian party right now is it's still a little bit too small. So you still have a lot of egos that are in there trying to be the big fish in the small pond and they're doing all kinds of, they believe that this should be, and they believe with all their heart. And I, I, I'm glad that they're there working and fighting for it, but we need more people in there because once you have more people in there, the quality will rise, the cream will come to the top, and we'll get the better candidates out there for that. Yeah. So that's how you that's how you change it. You just keep growing, you keep pushing your ideas, you move forward and you and you enact the change that you want to have enacted. Odie? Can I can I throw something out real quick? A- absolutely. And to kind of to kind of build off what Reinhold said and like kind of the direction where they go with this is so when you say that, like, you know, uh, I think what I'm looking at is how do we rein in those candidates without force um, that are going on national TV and saying under the libertarian name, I'm, if I get elected president tomorrow, I'm going to just rip that whole government down and we're going to do this and we're going to do it this way because to the general public that doesn't work. And then it establishes that name for libertarians. Like, you know, and I've had those conversations where I'm like, Oh, I'm a libertarian. And they're like, Oh, so you just want to rip the whole government apart. And I'm like, well, no, because I think that's a process that we get to. I'm like, Oh, I heard this libertarian talking on, this national news thing. And that's how they said that they're going to do it. And so how do we, how do we rein that in? And obviously we're just, there's two things to that. First of all, the answer to that is, yeah. And you've got the Democrats throwing a socialist up there and you've got the Republicans with Trump. So uh, how is this any worse? (laughs) Right. Uh, But the second one is just say, Hey, libertarian is a, is a widening range of of views and thoughts. And you're going to have some people who are on kind of fringy and who say things are a little out there. But listen to what – so I always try to – I always say libertarianism is, and I've said it before in the podcast tonight, is that it's – people have the right to live their lives as they choose as long as they're not affecting someone else's right to the same. And when you tell somebody that and you say, hey, this is what I believe, and you just give them that straight sentence, five times out of six, they're going to say, yeah, I believe – that's what I believe too, all right? 
But what happens is when you start saying, well, what about this and applying that to it, they go, well, you know, I think it there, we need to kind of go around. So once you establish that that's the, that's the view, which is really an American view. It's what the basis of this government was founded on. It's Jefferson was the one that said this based off what Locke was explaining in his philosophy, right? That's how old this goes back to in his first inauguration speech. He basically says that exact line, right? So once we agree that that should be the, the, the philosophy that we filter our politics through, I think a lot of people are more going, okay, I could see that, but you just interpret it a different way, or you, you see this kind of, how this applies a different way to different aspects or different issues. Um, but I mean, I think that's really the only way to do that. You, you can't tell somebody they can't go on TV and say what they want to say. Uh, all you can do is have more voices out there and more um, better people uh, drowning out those fringes. Yeah. I think that's a, we have this conversation all the time in the group chat because it's, it's complicated. Like libertarians are tied to other libertarians in a way that is unfair compared to Republicans and Democrats. Uh, and people have a standard for us that they don't apply to other people. Amy Klobuchar didn't know the name of this Mexican ambassador, and it didn't end her presidential campaign in the way that it ended Gary Johnson's in the mind of many people. Uh, you have the James Weeks dancing on stage naked incident brought up to you 150 times a week if you're talking about libertarianism on Facebook. Uh, I I have just gotten to a point with some of that stuff where I just, not hostily, but I push back and I just say, are you a mental midget? All right, maybe that's a hostile. Uh, but are you, like, <laughs> do you have a low IQ? All right, maybe I'm still wrong. Like when somebody... <laughs> When somebody brings up James Weeks, I just know that's a dumb person. Like, you're just not interested in having a real debate or having a conversation or you're not interested in anything I have to say. You're interested in just protecting your tribe and mocking mine. Okay, let's do that then because I'm a professional communicator and I work for a comedy show and I will wreck you. Uh, there's <laughs> just like some – you have to at a certain point go, yes, every group of people has infighting. The Vatican has infighting, and they think that they're the literal voice of God. You know, there is every, any group of people has infighting. And if you are so unsophisticated and immature that you can't see the ideas because you're turned off by the arguing, then you're the problem, not the people who are fighting. Like, yes. Stop making apologies for other libertarians. You don't have to own that. You don't have to take responsibility for that. It's ridiculous if you do because it's not about you. It's about other people. Like we, 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 we take too many opportunities to apologize for other libertarians because we have this complex in the libertarian movement where we need people to like us. I don't know Lincoln Chafee from Adam. I have not studied him. I don't know if I'd vote for him or not. Uh, I mean, I'm just going to go out on a limb that I, Lincoln Chafee versus Bernie Sanders versus Donnie Trump, Donald Trump. I'm probably taking Lincoln Chafee, right? But um, uh, what was I talking about? Um, the <laughs> I forgot a total brain fart because I <laughs> I messed up Donald Trump's name and then I started thinking about that and now I have no idea what 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 I was talking about. What was I talking about? Help me. Kibby on Libby. That's what you were. Kibby on Libby. Yes. You're, yeah. You're talking about <laughs> people and and um, it's all it's all about the people, right? R right. Like 
making excuses to not be libertarians. Yeah, yeah don't why, why we're a joke. Don't don't apologize to those people for for those people because you don't have to. Right. You know, you you if you if you study Lincoln Chafee and you like Lincoln Chafee and the fashionable thing in the libertarian movement is to not support Lincoln Chafee, then support Lincoln Chafee and grow a pair and create the lane for Lincoln Chafee supporters. The people and that's what I've actively chosen to do with Gary Johnson. If you think Gary Johnson was a bad candidate in 2016, there are some arguments that he didn't run a good campaign or he wasn't prepared to be president. I've made those arguments. But if you think that his campaign was a failure, then I'd like you to fly to the state conventions of the libertarian parties that are going to have ballot access for the first time in their history because he got 3% instead of 1%. You're just a bona fide idiot if you don't think that that's a success. And at a certain point, you have to grow up if you're making those arguments. If you're making the James Weeks argument, oh, you're not serious because they dance na- naked on stage, you're grow up. Like, and don't be afraid to push back at people because create the lane and don't be afraid to be the person. If you have trouble creating that lane, go read Brave, Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown and it will help you. It's all about standing up for what you believe in. If you think Jacob Hornberger or Vermin Supreme or Lincoln Chafee is the best person, say it. People like that's one thing that Miss Pat has taught me on the pat down is that people want you to tell them what you think instead of trying to be liked. And this party is so desperate. Uh, that was my point about Lincoln Chafee. They'll pick Bob Barr or Gary Johnson or Lincoln Chafee or some other party's retreads, not because he's the best candidate or because he's the most ideological, because he'll get the best media coverage. And the political establishment might take us a little more seriously and might like us a little more. And that's where the criticisms of Gary Johnson are right. Why choose another old white dude with who's milk toast? Who's going to get us like, ugh. I get it. I totally get that argument um, because the Libertarian Party is, is a lot like the Republican Party and they're desperate to be liked. <gasps> we got Chuck Norris. Who? Charlie Daniels likes us. We should make him like, ooh, Vince Vaughn is saying nice things. Oh, shut up. Grow up. Like <laughs> Republicans and Democrats have this like inferiority complex where they, they do stupid stuff because they think that they're going to be liked by the media and liberals and Hollywood, and it's not going to happen. The universities are never going to fully support libertarian ideas. Sorry, they, they'll like you better than Republicans and Trump. But if you're a libertarian president, you think they're not going to treat you exactly like they've treated Donald Trump, and you'll always be the goat. You'll always be the idiot. You'll always be the one that, that's criticized. That's the reality of it. And so you have to be tough. You have to have a backbone. And libertarians don't actually have a backbone a lot of times. So uh, I think there needs to be some maturity in the movement. There's a big problem in the movement where we chase competent people out and people who have any kind of knowledge and experience. Like, uh, you know, we we get a lot of people come in and go, I'm going to raise money and I'm going to promote the party and I'm not leaving and I promise. And they never do or they, they, they get driven out. And a lot of those people do bring some good institutional knowledge, and there are some people in the party who chase out the institutional knowledge because they want to keep it a club and not a political party, you know. And uh, that's a very toxic trait, and you have to choose not to participate in it, you know. So I think there's a fine line that we're constantly talking about, Reinhold and I specifically, uh, where, like, if you see 
white ethno nationalism or a catering of towards racists in the movement like do you not shine a light on that or do you shine a light on it and say we don't stand for this i tend to take the tack that if you starve the attention it's not going to gain attention but once you start to push on that and start talking about it all the time the people who are going to exploit exploit the lowest common denominator are going to use you to grow their movement so I'd rather just not talk about it. And is that cowardly? No, I think cowardly is is sucking up to it. I don't think Reinhold agrees with me. I think Reinhold looks at it and goes, no, we should absolutely take the opposite stand. We shouldn't be recruiting the alt-right. And, you know, I find, I find Reinhold's opinion more divisive than mine. But, Reinhold, you have a very rational reason for why you think, listen, I support the people who are going out there and and taking on podcast hosts or writers who are or, who are talking to or or cuddling up like Stefan Molyneux. Let's use him as the example. Like we've always kind of known who that guy is. He's just saying the quiet parts out loud now. And I I'm of the mind that you don't need to tell me that who Stefan Molyneux is. I already knew. But when you try to tell me who Stefan Molyneux is, all it does is just piss everybody off and bring attention to Stefan. You know, but you're like, hey, we got to talk about it. Well, and, and my view on that too is, if people are coming in saying, "Hey, we should be emulating Stefan and getting more of his people in here," that's when you push back on it, right? Just because Stefan's out there and it exists, don't care. That's his whole thing. Uh, he can call himself whatever he wants to call himself. We know what he is, uh, but it's when he starts when he's starting to be used as a, a, a recruitment tool, that's when I get a lot of concern and pushback on, right? I want that out of the party. We've been fighting that since the new fusionism um, back in the late nineties. I'm just, it's or early nineties. actually. What, what is new fusionism? So new fusionism, there was a, there was a fusionism and Rothbard it, that that was originally around where Republicans were trying to get people into their party and it, it kind of failed. But um, Rothbard decided to, to, to try this thing called new fusionism where he would try to um, appeal to the old right as it's called. Right. So the old, old right was getting disenfranchised because the neocons were coming in and they were trying to make the uh, compassionate conservative, you know, be a thing. And the, old right really kind of translate more into what the alt-right is now. So they would use dog whistles and language that would appeal to them without being overtly um, in, in the face saying, Hey, we want you guys to come over. When you, know, you say old right, is that like, it. is that like John Birch society or Pat Buchanan or like who Pat Buchanan was actually the person that they tried to run that Rothbard and Ron Paul and uh, Lou Rockwell pushed um, and backed Buchanan for the election in 92. That's when that's kind of when that fusionism started in like the late 80s where he got this idea and then they pushed it and tried to implement it in 92 with Buchanan, right? So it, it was kind of a calling out to the, to the alt-right uh, nationalism, that sort of thing. It was, it was trying to call those people over and saying, hey, you have a home here. And that's caused so many problems in the last 30 years because of it. Um, it, it, it's just, it's, it's not something I don't know if we're ever going to get rid of. Uh, and it's, it, it's a taint on our, on what we believe and what we're trying to push. 
Uh, but there are people who are trying to defend that those people should be involved. But if somebody believes in individualism and shares our values and isn't a foreign policy hawk, like how's that different than a libertarian belief? Well, it's first of all, it's it's the exact opposite of individualism, right? Um, plus, it's an insidious belief, right? So it's not and, like and a good which, faith but which belief disagree. are you talking about? Uh, the, the belief in like uh, racial nationalism. Okay, so Stefan Molyneux right. and his belief that right. white people are superior, basically. Like he he doesn't well, say it directly, but he's getting pretty cl- comfy with the, no. With he that says idea. it directly that it, it's not that the white people are superior; it's that the the black people are sub okay superior. Right. That's that's his goal, based off the IQ and the bell curve and all this other stuff. It's been debunked and proven wrong so many times but nobody everybody goes right. oh well, you know people like dave smith goes oh but the science is there and it's like no dave no no you're <laughs> so the uh, well the fact is is racism bigotry of any kind is just collectivism right yeah and so is kind of nationalism too right of course uh, nationalism is a collective collectivist type of, of view just it's author- authoritarian it's collectivism uh, it's the same as it's it's on par with communism and socialism, where it's collectivist and authoritarian, you have the same on the nationalism side, right? So it's, I don't know why we would, you know, people say there's, you either have to be one or the other. I'm like, no, there's a third way guys. It's individualism. It's what we are fighting for. It's what the party exists for. So why would we try to uh, change what we are just to try to get some, old racist guys to come in and support us. So Jeff, have you ever heard of Stefan Molyneux? I have not. All right. So see, that's my argument, right? Hold mm-hmm. is that you don't even need to mention Stefan Molyneux because Jeff's never heard of him. He's listened to we are libertarians right. for six months. He's mm-hmm. like, I'm happy. I'm satisfied. I know libertarianism now because I've got the best libertarian podcast in the universe that I'm listening right. to. Well, what, he, I, so what I happens mean, when he when he develops further and starts talking to people on social media and somebody says, oh, this, this Stefan guy, he's an ANCAP. You should listen to what he has to say and gives them the tame stuff. Right. And gets them saying, oh, yeah, this, this Stefan guy's doing good. You know, I, my, I my argument is here. that Jeff is an adult and will probably listen to it and go, yeah, no, thank you. He'll probably kick but, out but the idea. That's I- not how propaganda, propaganda happens in a way that subverts that. Right. So. Yeah, I think that a lot of people would say, no, not for me. But there are people who can get twisted into that, um, into that mindset, into that view, slowly through that propaganda path. Propaganda and, and propaganda only works in, in a communal environment. And so if you have somebody like Jeff who's listening to this program, who's encouraging him to think independently, but isn't – I mean, you have no idea how every day you motherfuckers fact check me. Not just the audience, but the people in our group. Hody, it's all the time, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> my I, life's I, a daily. I'm listening my, to the swamp episode, and I got some fact checking to talk. Right, about. it's just constant, right? Because we, you know, Jeff, I would imagine that one of the things that you like about this show is that we're independent minded, right? We, we want you to think about your life and what you think, and then make your own, draw your own conclusions. Absolutely. Yeah, and I just. I mean, so we're all right. Settle this argument, Jeff. All I'm doing is providing information, though. That's what I'm saying is I'm not telling anybody they can't 
like Stefan. Yeah, but what you're, I'm saying what, is that you, this is what he's about. The this unintended the consequence. Story, you might be getting. The unintended consequence is that you become the loser brigade that, that monetize the haters, and then you're growing the resources and the tribalism that exists in Stefan's Twitter feed. You're giving him a foil, and if you take the fo- this is the argument that I've had about Trump the whole time. Somebody you know wrote me in the Discord, and I'm like, no, my argument is that controversy is the oxygen that Donald Trump breathes. And so if you take away his oxygen by not making him controversial, he goes away a lot faster and loses his power. But if he can monetize you and turn you into a foil, he's going to be a lot more successful. So, Jeff, or, go ahead. Or you normalize that behavior, right? And Because you're not calling it out. You normalize it, and I, then I would, it becomes I, part of the society. Here's why you're not right, because we have never had – more fucking articles, podcasts, newscasts, like they're, they're arguing against Trump more than ever before. This is not who we are for five years now. It's more normalized than ever before. I don't think it's normalized. I, th- I think there's going to be, there's, there's backlash that's coming. That I think there's, I, I think the word is not normalization. It's numbness. And numbness has set in because when Trump farts, it's the most evil fart in all of history and several – never mind. I'm not going to go there. Well, I won't make gas <laughs> reference. Jeff, settle this argument. I mean you're a very smart individual. Like when you hear us talking about this stuff, do you, like, do you lean one way or the other? I don't think for me that I lean one way or the other. Um, and I think kind of this this back and forth that's going on now – is kind of the exact point of what I'm looking at with the Libertarian Party. And, and I know the complication comes from, which is what I appreciate about it, is that individualism. And so how how do we bring those individual ideas together to hit somebody that's not as smart or not as, um, you know, versed, but believes in the general pillars of, the libertarian ideas, like how do we bring them in without outcasting them or without them seeing that obviously debate because there is that individualism. That makes sense. Sure. How do we not, and I, and sti- I too, how, like, how do we not stigmatize the 10 people that actually look our way? Yep. Anybody? <laughs> I mean, and maybe it's not an answer to, maybe it's not a question to be answered now, but I think for me, that's, I'm looking at it to what can I do in my society? And obviously in smaller circles, it's much easier. Um, But I also believe that politically nationally right now is a key time that the Libertarian Party could really move from a Gary Johnson's three to even a five or a 10. If we're not kicking, making people, getting people pushed out of the Libertarian Party because they're not, anarcho-capitalist enough or they're not libertarian enough or those type of things. And I think that's Chris, your podcast and the group of you guys that are here has made me feel comfortable coming to this panel or other things that I've looked at that are libertarian. I probably would have never asked the question or never emailed them because I felt like, Oh, I'm not libertarian enough. I'm going to just going to get bashed and, and pushed away. And so I think there has to be that understanding is even if there is the the idea of individualism, that needs to extend to people that maybe aren't perfect libertarians or right in your viewpoint 
and accepting them into some degree so that that party can grow. And as Reinhold said, can elevate and make smarter voices out there that are overpowering some of the negative voices that are nationally broadcasting as, as libertarians. I, I think a big part of it is just emotional brokenness and the dysfunction of libertarians and the, and the way that they operate. I mean, and that's why we talk a lot about like, Hey, go to therapy. Like here's what an emotionally <laughs> healthy person looks like because the reality, what I really think it is, is that there are a lot of libertarians and I was one of these people. If you, when I worked for the libertarian party, if you criticize libertarianism or the party, I took it very personally and would react very strongly to Republican and democratic friends on Facebook, for instance Um, because it was the majority of my identity, the whole of my identity in some cases, especially as like my marriage started to break down, like that was the good thing going on in my life. So I grabbed onto it really hard, you know, and not that that's a bad thing. Like I was in, I was at Porkfest and one guy said, if it weren't for the free state project, I'd probably be dead from suicide. Like this has given me a community and a place of meaning. And like, that's really good. And and when you're in a really low state and you're depressed, like you need to grab onto one thing and then grab onto a second and climb your way out of that. But I think when you function as a person who uh, you just can't have one singular identity, you can't if you find yourself reacting strongly to people criticizing your political opinions, it's a bit of an idol. It's a bit of something that you need to probably loosen your grip on and find some other avenues to kind of identify yourself like i'm for me i'm i'm a libertarian but i'm a podcaster i'm like i'm part of several social circles like as my life has gotten emotionally healthier my reaction to a lot of this stuff has been less strong and i think that that is something that i've tried to impart to our our audience in that this is one part of your belief system it's an important part, but have other parts too, because once you diversify your emotional banks, you know, Harry and I have talked a lot about this, then you become a stronger person because what you see is a strong reaction by guys who don't have a lot going on in their lives. And so because your ignorance shown in an innocent question combined with the just the knee-jerk brain functioning of social media it it creates a very unwelcome environment and so one thing that i've intentionally tried to do with we are libertarians is trisha stewart loves our audience now because she now sees what i've been saying to her for a long time like there are aspects of the ancap movement that are really toxic and she's like i've never had more polite nice emails from people than the we are libertarians audience and it makes me really believe that liberty could thrive because they're nice people like your audience you know and i love that i want our group to be a group that welcomes women encourages female participation and a big part of what what i think libertarians have to think about is media representation and so by having more women on or having people of minority status or having even a socialist come on and talk about it, it doesn't mean that you're seeding ground or that if I have Levy on, Hody's losing a slot. There's plenty of episodes for Hody and Levy, right? Like, but there are a lot of, there's 30, 40% of our audience is female and they deserve to hear their voice represented. Harry has been an incredibly important part 
because Harry, you play a, a key role for media representation, you know, and I don't want to talk about the elephant in the room, but it's the fact that you're a giant fucking nerd. And I have no idea what you're ever talking about. <laughs> yeah. And then the worst part about it, I get that at work. I work in IT, and even then they're like, all right, Harry, bring it down. <laughs> we get it. You love waifus. Um, but what I really it hit home for me, Harry, when you started coming on weekly on the Tuesday night show, you know, Greg and I were very similar on the Thursday night show, and we had a lot of similar beliefs, and there wasn't... You know, and then when you came on and you started talking, I just kind of looked at you and go, "That like, dude, our audience doesn't want to hear about this tech stuff, or they don't want to hear about the anime. They don't want to hear about your Japanese cartoons." I was so wrong, and <laughs> you were so right in saying, "I'm going to start a Discord. Trust me, we're going to get into gaming. Trust me." Like you have taught me, listen. You don't need everybody to fit your personality for the show to work. You need to let other people kind of flourish and let their personality shine because I saw the audience grab onto you in a way that they often don't grab onto me even because you are you're you represent what they're interested in, you know? And it's that you're a giant nerd that that really you bring diversity to this program. It has nothing to do with your skin color. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, it's just because that's what my interests are is the tech stuff. And it's those those techie like libertarians. I really wish we could get more like like some of the medical nerds that are libertarian space. Those are guys really cool and wacky, but they're like nerdy in their own right. Like zip poppers or what? Nurses? <laughs> no, like uh, like the people who are like uh yeah, like nurses, like libertarian nurses and doctors and stuff like that, people in the medical space. And I don't know if I could handle hanging out with a bunch of libertarian nurses. When I dated, you if you saw they were a nurse, you swiped right hard. Mm. Nurses what? are fun What's... and ready to party. Okay. I was gonna <laughs> say like does right mean good or left mean good? Right means good, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Alright. If you saw yoga Pilates instructor, nurse uh-huh. You swiped, you were like, I know this isn't going to last. <laughs> <laughs> Teachers, too. Teachers, you have your fair share of uh, of fun in you. Uh, well, so, uh, go well, ahead, Harry. I was going to say, once, Jeff, like, uh, if you listen to some of the earlier ones, you'll hear uh, me talk about libertarianism uh, and my, like, you know, touching of it. Because until I really, like, really started messing with the wall audience, even back then, Honestly, I thought most libertarians were assholes mm-hmm. about talking with them. You know, it's like you know, it was like that, re- and really hard to drop a Republican label because it was just like it wasn't like their beliefs it was just like their connotation of being called like you know, no, they're all assholes and mean assholes. You know, I, I love the things that they're putting down, but they're just complete assholes. Right. And but being with the wall audience and doing all that, that's like wow, these are some actually nice people. You know, they're, they're not all assholes. Oh my God! Look, there's other people out here, but just like the news report of every every time the news is out there for any shooting, natural disaster, tornado, uh, or uh, brush fire, they're gonna find the best person of your community to put in front of a microphone and let them talk. Maybe he's like, "Oh, this fine young citizen right here in the suit." Let's let them talk. So ours would basically so- be James Niece. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so what I'm what I'm hearing is that in order for us to really advance liberty in the way it needs to be done with good people doing good things, 
is that this podcast needs to become the number one libertarian podcast in the country. That's exactly so right. You need, need to share you guys out there to help us do that. That's exactly right. All right, done. Exactly. Uh, Hody's right. It, well, I think to answer your question, Jeff, we've talked, we've talked all around this a lot, so we'll start wrapping up here. But um, I think the answer is each person listening has to be intentional about creating a community in the way that they'd like to see the libertarian movement created. And you have no idea when I started this, uh, March 8th is our anniversary eight years ago, 2012. I had no idea that I would have 50, 60, a hundred people come through. We are libertarians over that time and just friends, you know, and people like Hody that were just out there listening and, you know, hitting me up and talking. And I'm like, you, you talk well, why don't you come on and do an episode and <laughs> empowering him and giving him a platform. But, like, it's your responsibility to create the libertarian movement that you'd like to see. It's just people don't want to hear that because it's easier to go, I wish that guy would stop. But you got to really intentionally, and it's sometimes a lot of work, but we're trying to make it easy for you, which is why we have wearelibertarians.com slash liberty and chill, or <laughs> slash liberty dash chill. Um, you know, we're trying to give you resources to say, hey, here's the way. Try this. Do this. You're lonely. You need friends. Try these methods. Do this. Because that's that's what it's going to take. Like, Harry, your Liberty and Chill group is a friend group. And you guys have socialists popping up. And you're arguing with them. And it and it turns into something really cool. All right. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we play we play games. Uh, we we may sit at a brewery and drink beer, not cocktails. Uh, but we actually are considering even you know branching out and going somewhere else out of the brewery like this, like a, back again to so try and do karaoke one time. Yeah, uh, Korean barbecue and karaoke. But the more thing is just the corroborate of friends. You've got a lot of people libertarian species who don't get the meat. Just other people in meat space, IRL, you know, just go out, leave your computer screen, meet some people, you know, uh, I'm, a, you know, yes, your friends are friends online. That's great. It's awesome. Have those friends. I want you to have those friends. So but Jeff, there's something to be, hmm? Jeff, do you want to join our meat space? Yeah, <laughs> sure. I'm okay. down. All right. See? Yeah. Come out, come out in the meat space. See everybody, you know. This podcast you know? <laughs> has gone on so long that Jeff grew a mustache. I want you all to see that. <laughs> It was there at the start. Oh, look at that. Oh, exactly. So, Jeff, get to get, you could do that. You could get together and kind of put the Liberty and Chill together there in Fresno. Mm-hmm. I've been to Fresno once before. I was there uh, for a week one afternoon. And um, it was a really nice place. So It is nice. Hot summers, cold nights. Just like my college days. All right, Jeff. Uh <laughs> We're not going to go around and, and do a closing. Hody, you've been exceptionally quiet, but I am going to give you uh, the last word to Jeff uh, a- afterwards. But um, Jeff, what what do you think? Are you more libertarian now? Like, give us a summation of kind of uh, – we've given you a lot to process, but what are your general impressions of what you've heard tonight? Um, I think a lot of what you guys said was what – I had formulated in my mind based off of what I knew and and what I've learned. And so I think it was affirmation to a lot of those, um, a lot of those ideas. Um, And so, yeah, I think I wouldn't say that I'm more libertarian two hours later than I was two hours ago, but uh, definitely um, see that my formulation of those ideas and processes are going in the right direction. Cool. Uh, Hody, 
Would you like to give him some encouragement? You're a very encouraging person. Yeah. So I think this fifth question, it almost could have been the first question because like, how do, how do I actually even get started on all of this stuff? How, how do we even make that happen? Culture, culture, culture. And Harry and Chris talked about it kind of at the beginning. And this is just about love and unity. You look at the success of movements where they were a minority. Okay, because government, I mean, you can have a success in government, like ending segregation, but that only happens after the culture is overwhelmingly already done with segregation, right? It will, they'll only ban slavery after we're like overwhelmingly done with slavery, have a really, real big incentive to get rid of it, right? When, so when government actually does something good, it's only after people have already realized pretty universally, universally that this is a good thing to make happen. And so I can't preach enough that you just need to change the culture. I look at Martin Luther King Jr. for two big reasons. And and let me give you one. Chris has talked about this on the podcast and it's an example I used all the time. And this is that he made it so people that probably should be his enemies, he made alliances with them. Now, a lot of people in the libertarian movement will say, you're catering out. Now it's impure. You brought in all these evil people. What Martin Luther King Jr. did is he found the racists, because that was still the bulk of the country that thought black people were inferior to white people, and said, now, okay, maybe you don't want us dating your daughters. Maybe you don't us riding with you on the bus. Okay. Are you okay with it, though, when your police sick the German shepherds on these kids and made them say no? And found a point where they say, okay, you know what? I, I'm not ready for this whole liberty thing yet, but I am, I am ready for that. I'm ready for that to stop. I'm ready for them to stop turning fire hoses on your kids. And you know what? That just gets the ball rolling. Because then what's the next step? Oh, you know what? Maybe it's okay if we get educated in the same place too. Oh, you know what? Maybe drinking out of the same drinking fountain isn't such a big deal. Oh, you know what? Maybe it is okay if you date my daughter because you're a human being. But it starts in a place. And right now we're not in a great place for liberty. I get that. All right. But, but, this, but it starts someplace. And so what, do we do? what we do is we mimic these successful movements that have come before us. And you say, look, you might not agree with me on everything, guys. We got some great um, – I work with somebody uh, who does a lot of uh, breed-specific legislation and getting rid of banning pit bulls and things like that. And – she, she, including most of the people in the group, are not libertarians, but they believe in liberty in this aspect. And we create that bridge and we're making progress all over the country. We're getting closer and closer. We're winning that fight. We're winning the fight toward dr- drug legalization. It's because of libertarians and because of liberty. The majority of the people who push this are not libertarians and don't yet recognize liberty as a good thing, but we, but we can use them for now. And this is how it starts, and you need to be okay with a start. Um, the second example is that uh, uh, from Martin Luther King Jr. is that you, you just um, you know when to pick your fights. And we kind of got talk, talking about this, about, James Weeks dancing naked, and it's easy to take offense to that. And you know what? It was a dumb thing for him to do. And it's okay for you to say it's a dumb thing for it to do, but you shouldn't have to say it too many times. You know what's a more dumb thing to do? How about killing 480,000 people overseas in a war we don't need to be in? Mm-hmm. That seems a little stupider to me. That seems a little bit more dumb. You know why Gary Johnson didn't know the name of Aleppo? He shouldn't have to know what Aleppo is because if Hillary Clinton didn't botch things up over there and Barack Obama botch things up over there and essentially create ISIS and weaponize the people, these terrorists, All right, bring it you home, wouldn't Hody. have to bring know what home. Aleppo is. All right, Hody's getting – Hody. 
<laughs> you have to did you, know, okay? did you drink uh, vaccines before you started this podcast? Bring it home, man. <laughs> I'm injecting right now, baby. We're going. But you see, this is this is what's important to recognize is they'll they'll say, oh, this is why people aren't libertarians. Everybody's got a different reason every day. We're never going to run out of stupid people saying stupid things from every walk of life. But you can't feed into that too much. Yes, you put your foot down. You say that was a dumb thing. But you know what? I'm still more interested in liberty. I'm still more interested in that than 480,000 dead Iraqi civilians overseas. Is that okay? Is that okay? And I think most people will say, yeah, it is okay. You know, to talk about it, and let, let's, let me make this positive now. Sorry, I made it negative. I know Chris called on me for positivity here. Uh, <laughs> I know. If I wanted depressing scenarios, I would have called on Harry. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm at a family reunion a couple of years ago. It was about 40 of us there. And, uh, uh, you know, extended family, family reunion. And we're talking about liberty stuff. And me and my brother were having some disagreements. But my mom stops everybody and she's like, hey, real quick, now that we got everybody here. You know, I know they're talking politics. Who here isn't a libertarian? And there was two of us out of the 40. And it was because of the strides that I had made in talking with my family. And that got the ball rolling. Now, I didn't talk to every single one of these 40 family members about it. But it reached one member of their family who then talked about it with their family. This is how it happens. And it seems slow. God took the Jews and put them 40 years in a wilderness before they were ready for their own nation. Now, we don't have the benefit of any wilderness going on anytime soon. And so this is going to take more than 40 years, and be prepared for that game. This, this is gonna podcast? Kind of <laughs> podcast, we'll make it more than 40 years, Chris. You hang on, buddy. You just take your, if you take your vaccinations, you'll be around too in this 40 years. On, I'll make sure of it. This podcast has gone on so long, I've grown a mustache. <laughs> I'll wrap it up. But here, here, here's the thing, is I think you just keep it positive. We focus on unity, unity, unity. You can unite with people that are not necessarily great people about a specific issue. Never dismiss someone's problems. When somebody says, I'm having this problem, you, they might have a totally different solution than you. Most of them are government solutions. That's the way we've been raised and that's okay. But recognize their problem. Be more passionate about their problem, about fixing their problem than they are, not less. Don't choose to dismiss choose to accept, choose to embrace. We already have a tough sales pitch in Liberty. Don't make it harder by saying that Liberty doesn't care about certain problems because the bottom line is we do. We care about all those problems and it's important to a lot of different people. You might be only able to care about breed specific legislation or maybe you're only able to care about legalizing marijuana or maybe, man, you're in food service. Maybe you only care about the, the mountain of legislation that makes it impossible to distribute food. <laughs> in a way that is expeditious and safe and, and, and yeah, and important and inexpensive, right? Maybe that's where you focus, focus on that one thing. The, the, the Liberty movement can't have you doing everything, but it can have you doing one thing and doing it really well. And it makes a difference to a lot of people. All right. Very good. Everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us and for being a patron. Thanks for having me. Harry, thank you for being here. Thanks. Thank you. Um, surviving the coronavirus, but thank you. Appreciate it. Reinhold, good to see you. You too. Harry? Yeah. I mean, Hody? <laughs> <laughs> I am the opposite of Harry with the bald head here. Uh, <laughs> no, it's good seeing you too, guys. I, I, always a pleasure to be on. 
All right. If you want to, if you want to join the path, if you have some questions, if we didn't answer all your questions, then please send me an email, editor at weirdlibertarians.com. Many of you have. I've not responded to everyone, but I, I have gotten all of your emails and I thank you so much for writing in. We'll do more of these episodes. These seem to be fairly popular and people really enjoy them. So, uh, we are, uh, we're happy to do it and we hope that you'll share these and that you'll share with your friends. And we thank you for listening to We Are Libertarians. You guys are the best audience in the whole world. You make this uh, worth doing and worth uh, putting the time in. And we have so much fun talking to you. And we will see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk to you then.